now clear to speak. I don't have a way to start this, so if anyone's got any better ideas. You know, I wish cartoons, Roger Rabbit's cartoon spin had a better intro. It, 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 I mean, it has an I mean, amazing... usually there's, a, there's probably some sort of safety spiel about, like, you know, keep your hands and arms inside the cab at all times, you know. That well, if you're thing. in the line queue, there's a lot of, like, boiling sounds and alley sounds, yeah. so if you think about it, there's, there's not a real lot of anything else other than the feeling of putting you into a film noir. Oh, yeah. Dude, the, the queue for that ride is, is great. It it's really an, does. It like, I don't even mind waiting in line for that one, because you get to walk through the dark dank streets in Toontown. It is one of my favorite cues, honestly. Boss, it's Jessica Rabbit. She gave me the slip. Oh, did it hurt? <laughs> got the password. <laughs> well, got the password you can't come in. Hey, I don't want to see your mug around here anymore. Now yeah. get out. Chunk. We've all been stuck in that part of the line. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Having to deal with that gorilla. The gorilla bouncer. I'm okay. But I, every time I tell him Walt sent me, he doesn't do anything. Yeah, so I've, I've done it too. They must have changed it. I hope. But <laughs> you get if you have a fast pass, you just show him your fast pass, and he opens the door and lets you. <laughs> it turns out that there's actually that's the fast pass line. There's actually a secret room and everything. That would be interesting. How dare they? Um, hello I... and welcome to Anna Musings. I am your host. Uh, I get to say my new name now. Hey, you do. I am your host, Kayla King. Yay! <laughs> that is the most. Like, yay. Uh, <laughs> I, we don't have the soundboard ready to go. Those yeah, kids, yay. Yeah, they're excited. Uh, the really generic stock kid sound. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I know exactly the one. But yeah, I am joined by my husband. Oh my gosh. It finally happened, everybody. Mm. Hi, I'm David. I'm the husband. It's a beautiful wedding. Thank, Thank you. you. Really, really. really nice. Thanks for coming, you two. Yeah, it was great to see you two. Oh, yeah, we got two people here, too. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, uh, my name is Michael Thrash Ornelas. And I'm Jesse. Don't have a cool middle name to interject, Ornelas. <laughs> I have a pretty cool nick- nickname to interject, though, yeah, honestly. I don't have a cool nickname. I don't have a cool nickname either, so it's all good. Um, but- all right, Canary. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> um, I Yes, we are joined by the Ornelas brothers. Some call us the Super Ornelis Brothers. It's true. Super! Super! The references are going to be through the roof. Oh, no doubt. Like Okay, for one, we're all here in the same space, which is nice, in this cool, very cool lounge you all have here. Thank you. Welcome to the Ornelis, Casa de Ornelius, I can't even say my own name right, Casa de Ornelis Media Room. Yeah, it is a mouthful. I there's a lot of media, and it is a room. Yeah, there's wow. This whole place is covered in like um, film, film, and uh, music and television artwork. Like, well, when you see more of the thrash talk videos that'll be coming out later, you'll you'll recognize some more backgrounds. Right. There, so you know, shameless plug. Shameless plug. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> hey, you're allowed to do that though. You're our guest. Yeah, so you, you get to join. You us. can plug anything you want, but. At the end. At this point, there's one episode up, so... Awesome! <laughs> that's all you have. By the time this... Yeah, that's true. Um, but the other reason we're here is we're all going to talk about a movie that we are very excited to talk about, and that is the 1988... Eight. Year I was born. Uh, 1988 uh, live-action animated film noir slash zany comedy Who Framed Roger Rabbit. <laughs> you know what's wonderful about you... Having uh, uh, the birthday, the year of that, that it comes out, whatever the anniversary of the DVD is, is how old you are. It's true. That so, is true, so yeah. So as soon as we got to the 30th anniversary, and then when we get to the 50th, hopefully you get to make it to the 100th 
anniversary. Uh, Fingers crossed. <laughs> Fingers well, crossed. The, the, the funny part is, um, uh, and the, I get to announce this also in the next uh, one of the. Uh, it's oh, it's not the next one, but ne- next month's uh, Animusings is we're doing Little Mermaid, and I'm actually born on the exact same day and year that movie came out. And I'm turning 30 this year, so guess what I get? Guess what I get? Super cool. I know. Yeah. Guess what I get? Kept being kept reminded about. It's like it's the Little Mermaid's 30th year. Oh yeah, that's right. Now it, on 4K Blu-ray. Mm-hmm. To be fair, we uh, we deliberately chose the 50th anniversary of the Haunted Mansion's opening to get married. So uh, I like your date choosings. Thank I like you. That. Thank you. Yes. Yeah, I think that worked out. If you um, don't mind, I have a lot of. Uh, I know you. You you're like the mistress of fact. So, so, <laughs> do you mind if I just interject with some things and you can fill in the holes of where I've missed? Sure. Um, let me just first say that this film was released on June 22nd, 1990, or 1988. And um, I actually had an instructor, Marshall Vandruff, who taught to us. He was, um, it was a drawing for, a sketching for animators and illustrators class. Mm-hmm. It was a beautiful class, nine hours on a Saturday, and I would not spend it any other way. I wish it could have been 12, but, you know limitations. Anyways, for those of who know, there is a weird little lull in the sort of, you know, animation that was happening, especially in the 80s, whether it was from the um, uh, little cartoons that we were seeing on TV or the shorts or specials. And he says, because most of us were either babies or not even born yet when this film came out. So from a person who was there, he said that after being in the animation departments and worlds and sort of feeling this lackluster void, he said a bunch of his friends went to the movie theater mm-hmm. and were blessed with the opening little maroon cartoon and said, oh my God, where has this kind of animation been? Because <laughs> yeah. as, as we know, Richard Williams was a student of Milt Call. So uh, before we get in, just to give audience uh, or listeners um an idea richard williams was the um director of animation for this or the animation director for this and for those who don't know who he is richard williams has done a variety of different works he's his most famous uh, earlier on was like doing the title sequences for like what's new pussycat and um uh, the Pink Panther series, like the, those Pink Panther animations at the beginning, that's him. As well as he did the title for one of my personal favorites, a funny thing that happened on the way to the forum. Um, that's right, that was him. Mm-hmm. Uh, he and he cr- uh, directed in uh, uh, two films, one that was Oscar winning, and that's the 1971 Christmas Carol, which you know that classic animated one. It's that's the one, and it won a, a, an Oscar for best animated short, and uh, a very terrible film, Raggedy Ann and Andy's Musical Adventure. Terrible <laughs> is in the eye of the beholder. I tell you something, I'm getting real sick and tired of all the dumb <laughs> things that go on around here. I do like that song actually from that movie. <laughs> um, all I just remember is the trippy camel sequences. But we'll talk about that one in the future. Oh so. yeah, so the one of. Because we were talking about this earlier, there's a lot of Richard Williams, like, sort of baby projects that we, that he, or projects that he did that would be fun to talk about anyway. We, we've decided at some point we're going to delve into Richard Williams' animations um, later down the line. Uh, our next one, we're going to, after this whole Walt Disney animation canon, we're going to deal with Don Bluth. And then, after that, go into Miyazaki. So, we're, cool. we, we got a, <laughs> we got a whole, we got a lineup. I think it's pretty good. Um, but, yeah, uh, 
it was all this also was based off a book the 1981 novel who censored roger rabbit by gary k wolf by the way i did read this book mm-hmm. i have read this book the similarities um fall <laughs> mainly in the outline i want to say uh it still has that very it's definitely a noir book it definitely has that detective grimy feel but the uh, i mean i i think i can i'll delve into it a little bit but I'm not going to lie. This is one of the few times where I think the movie is actually so much better than the book. Like, yeah, I'm going to agree with you there. Again, without without really giving too much away in case anybody wants to pick up the book, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, you learn very early on how it's very different character-wise and how one of your essential characters disappears very early. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden how that drives the detective to only have so long to figure out the case. Some of the um, the alternate titles also for this film, because it's easy. We we read the cover of Who Censored Roger Rabbit, then we think Who Framed Roger Rabbit is a really easy carryover. But some of the other ideas that they were toying around with the possible titles for this film were Toons, Murder in Toontown, The Toontown Trial, Dead Toons Don't Pay Bills, <laughs> Trouble in Toontown, like, like Big like, Trouble in Little China, China kind of a thing, mm-hmm. uh, Eddie Goes, tune, goes to Tune. Not to Toontown, just Eddie Goes, Eddie to, goes tune. to Tune. And oh, there was boy. this other one, that, I don't know if this was supposed to be like the German title. Yeah. Der Wundersamen Abenteuer von Herbert Haus in Trickfilmland. What's it mean? Uh, the Miraculous Adventures of Herbert Herring, the cartoon. Um, uh-huh. So the fact that, and, and Toons seemed just to be the biggest one, because I think they were trying to sell the fact that there were going to be so many cartoons in this film, which right. because uh, we'll get into that, I'm sure it's it was such a costly project. It was around estimated a budget of seventy million dollars. Fifty. It was fifty million. If fifty five zero five zero. So originally, when they um, were able to get Amblin on, uh, by the way, Amblin Entertainment is uh, Steven Spielberg's production companies everybody you have no idea everybody was like oh my gosh we get to work with steven spielberg <gasps> yeah that was like a, re- a strange driving force in the production like it always is you know anytime he gets to touch anything everybody's really excited and i think because he's he was one of the first producers in hollywood who was also a director so he comes from that standpoint of understanding the production as opposed to just throwing dollar bills blindly into the wind, mm-hmm. you know? And so. the few things that he contributed to the film, like those ideas, I really help. I, I really think helped make it a stronger film. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Well, there's a whole, like, a veritable, like, smorgasbord of people who are involved in this movie in so many ways. Not just even the people in the production, but you've got animators, you've got voice actors, you've got, like, just the, the amount of oh. talent in this film is phenomenal. Yeah. Absolutely. So, like, this... And I can't wait, because as we go through, we're going to talk about some of the talent that's actually in the film, but I guess while we're here, we can talk about some of the people who were actually involved. Because, you, you know, obviously we've talked about, um, we've talked about Richard Williams. Uh, well, Robert... And you mentioned he was a, he was a Milk Calls, like, what, he was a student. He was a pupil. He actually studied under Milk Call. That makes okay. People who don't know who that is, I would. Oh re- no! Re- if they would, they should know what this is. If you have not listened, <laughs> if you haven't listened to the other episodes of our podcast, and you don't know who Milk Call is, <laughs> yeah, we're not even going to talk about it here. You've got some homework to do. <laughs> Go listen to the other episodes if you want to figure out who Milk Call is. <laughs> uh, Robert Zemeckis directed this. Actually, uh, so this film was already, op- or this book was already optioned to be a film not long after it came out. And um, Robert Zemeckis wanted to direct in 1982, and they were like, uh, no, 
you directed two horrible movies, I Want to Hold Your Hand and Use Cars, and those <laughs> bombed, we're not going to hire you. Time passed. Or try, it's in Time passed. Time literally passed. And after being in development uh, hell, um, they finally got it off the ground in 1985. And by that point, Robert Zemeckis is like, I've directed Romancing the Stone and Back to the Future. And they're like, yeah, okay, let's let's bring you in. <laughs> Interestingly enough, they didn't know if this was going to be under the Disney label or the Touchstone label until like a week before they finished production. Which is interesting because I think it is. I'm glad they did do the Touchstone label because mm-hmm. one. Um, so if you with this film, they bring it does bring in a lot of animated, uh, like famous animated characters. Like this is. One of the, okay, if, if you guys have not seen Who Framed Roger Rabbit, go watch it right now. Stop it right and now, and then come watch talk it. about the film in detail. No, you need to watch this. I'm not. I'm going to just say ahead of time, this movie is insanely incredible. Like just, oh my god, it's my favorite film of all time. It's one of mine too. One of mine. I grew up with it. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> we all did though, didn't we? Yeah, we did. Yeah. I mean, well, we all were. Around, I mean, yes, we were born when it came out, but it was one of those films like that was on all the time too, like yeah. on Disney Channel. And well, I mean, we have our personal history, so that's always a, a thing we talk about. Before yeah, we get into it. Actually, we're already kind of doing that a little bit. Actually, like, what are your guys' personal histories with this film? Let's talk about that. Um, uh, like, well, I guess we'll start with so, yeah, lead me. with Michael because I I was there for all of it. So I was, <laughs> I was, you you weren't born for the first year. It's true, I wasn't. Uh, we actually have an older brother, um, and and one of the things that we would do is I remember being uh, in our bunk beds, going to bed and reciting this movie back and forth. Aww. My older brother's uh, he's nine years older than me, but he would always ask me for a line. I don't know why I knew more of the lines than he did. Mm-hmm. Maybe just because it was the imprint. Um, and it was the introduction to um, my love of acting, the fact that Toons were actors, mm-hmm. the fact that they had roles. There's a cattle call in the beginning of the film, for, which hurts even more as you audition more and more in yeah. life. And you're like, oh my god, that's what they're doing? There's even a bull who's trying to read for a cow yeah. and trying to be feminine. Um, it's my introduction to film noir. It's my introduction to detectives and whodunits. Mm-hmm. And I think it's a pretty easy one because you can't necessarily just start a five-year-old on a Humphrey Bogart film and expect them to love it, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and it continues to be the movie that I find something new in every single time that I watch it, whether it's mm-hmm. a technical or an emotional or some sort of spiritual aspect. Uh, what about you, Jesse? I mean... Well, it's, a, it's a movie that I got to love as a child for, you know, all the cartoons and all the little bits in it, you know, watching Robert, uh, R- Roger Rabbit do all his um, crazy shenanigans, but... Uh, it's good because as I get older and I mature, I begin to see more in the movie, you know, uh, all the adult aspects of it as well. So I think it's really cool like that, you know, I, I got to grow up with it. I've, I've been watching this movie since before I could remember, which is odd to say, but it's uh, it's always been there and it's been a big staple in uh, our I guess, our, our film history, you know? Uh, what's the age gap between you two, by the uh, way? Three and a half, three about and four half. years. Okay, so not... Too. So yeah, not not huge, but just mm-hmm. just enough. Okay. Yeah, I don't think there was ever like like kind of like you. I don't think there was ever a time in my life where I didn't know about this movie in my periphery, and I yeah. I can't remember the first time I watched it. 
Um, I just always, I've always known the, the known it. And again, it's a movie that gets better the older you get. Like you can, yeah. and it, it, it can ap- appeal that way. But when you start to really watch it with a with a different mindset, you start to pick up on all the really, the really like even watching it just recently with 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 Kayla. We were. I was picking up on subtext that I'd never really thought about before, and we were like talking about these things with each other and going, "Whoa, you know, like that kind of mm-hmm. thing." So, um, it's a movie that just—it's just—it's packed to the brim with with detail and with like care and technical, like the, some of the most impressive, some of the most impressive technical like stuff I've seen in a movie for like that period. And just it's a, it, I just I, I can't help but love it. It's just this. It's just a, it's a solid, solid film. Pre-computer. Pre-computer. Yes. Pre-computer, yeah. That's, is... I think you can, I think to me, that's what I love so much about it, is you can feel the, the care that went into it, and, and, and the, the, um, the effort that went into it. Mm-hmm. All turn, parts of it. You could turn a whole other show into, uh, you could do a whole episode on all of the technical feats that Robert Zemeckis has done in his career. Mm-hmm. Like all of the cameras and all the little things that he invented for film. Like, I, I didn't right. even realize that. And, and this film is also one of those, you don't realize how good everybody is, you know, yeah. the technical, yeah. how to make the cartoons come to life. Because mm. it's seamless. It is absolutely seamless. Um, for me, I actually do remember the first time I saw this. I know I was under the age of 10. I can't, I, I know, because I was living in Washington at the time. Um, I must have been like seven or eight. Um, but I saw it on Disney Channel. And... I loved it. Like, I I just remember watching and just being so enamored. Um, I was actually f- genuinely frightened of the end- ending scene, too, <laughs> like, as a kid. But then I still kept coming back to it. Um, growing up, I ended up owning the movie. I don't know where that is now. Um, we actually had to rent it, so... That's hopefully we'll find it someday. Eventually, hopefully, but um, in our garage somewhere, yeah, and somewhere in, in that <laughs> cavernous garage. <laughs> but I, it, it, I became, I did become um, a little obsessed with this movie, especially like when I was in my teen years, um, and like tried to come up with my own like lore. And I wrote fan fiction for this. <laughs> oh, really? Yes. I I wrote it in, like, notebooks and stuff like that. That's probably never going to be seen. But, <laughs> yes, I wrote, like, my own sequels to this. I looked up details for this, like you did. Like, it became one of... This is genuinely one of my favorite movies. Like, And it's funny because I didn't think... Like, watching this, I didn't think I was going to get more out of it. I was, gonna, I was like... I was already just like, I'm excited to see this anyway. I love this film. But then, after doing this podcast with David, and um, what we've learned about animation in general, it op- like it opened my eyes to a lot more things that I'm like I can't believe I didn't notice this before. And wow, I'm I am so excited to talk about this. Um, the fact that we are almost twenty minutes into this by our raw recording time, and we haven't even really started talking about the plot of the movie, I think <laughs> says something. Oh, Danny. Yeah, <laughs> and talking uh, if I can get one more technical oh, thing in absolutely. there. Absolutely, one of our our friends, coworkers, Noel Cox, who's done animation for a better part of his life, mm-hmm. uh, told me something that I had never known before that there was a term that they would use in the animation department when they were doing stuff for Simpsons and whatnot, and that was. Bump Bumping. the lamp. Yep, I knew you were going to say that. Bump the lamp, lamp is what it was. And it's it's that scene where, you know, Eddie's in the back of the Dolores' bar and he's trying to saw off the handcuffs. 
you know, and right before that happened, he's he before he sets him down, his head hits the lamp and the lamp is moving. Now, if they would have kept the lamp still, that would have done one thing for the lighting. But because the lamp was bumped, the lighting has to shift on the actual body, like where the cast shadows are yeah. on, on so the cartoon. They actually had to draw Roger, like um, basically how the lighting affected Roger, and that's. You don't even think about it. It's so <laughs> seamless, but it takes so much extra care and effort um, that to do that is just wow. This entire movie bumped the lamp. The lamp. So the, yeah. entire yeah, the movie. movie. The entire so, movie. So the term "bump the lamp" means going that extra mile or putting in that extra effort to make yeah. it. I'm sure, and we'll bring that up again when we get to oh, that, yeah. when we get to that <laughs> scene too. So. so just to make it clear for those who don't know what Who Framed Roger Rabbit is about. It is a... <laughs> even though we've been talking about it for, like, 20 minutes, and... Um, <laughs> it, is a, it is a newer film. Uh, it takes place in Hollywood 1947, and it is a world where tunes or cartoons and humans live together. And I don't want to say in harmony, because that is not at all true. Um, <laughs> they do live together, though, and, and uh, cartoons usually work in the... Uh, Hollywood industry, they basically treat cartoon like cartoons are basically filmed like you would a live action film, and it's and uh, the one character we kind of follow, or well, there's two, but the one tune character we follow is Roger Rabbit. Right. And, um, uh, it begins where uh, our human character that we follow is Eddie Valiant, um, played by Bob Hoskins, who is amazing. A relative <laughs> unknown at the time when he was cast. Yeah. And then uh, he goes on to do other stuff, and he's awesome. Before we get to Eddie Valiant's introduction, though, can we talk about the the cartoon that so, opens uh-huh. the movie? Yes, it opens with a cartoon, that, like a Roger Rabbit cartoon, and I laugh so hard. I This... This is basically like a Looney Tunes cartoon. This is like a like slapstick uh, cartoon, just the a, a cartoon at its purest form, and I laughed in it. Ah, uh, uh, I I would almost argue that it's it's less like Looney Tunes and more like the the complete insanity that comes in more of a, a Tom and Jerry cartoon. Well, also, it was, yes. it was, uh, it played a lot of homage to Tex Avery. Yeah, definitely. Well, Tex Avery did work on this. Yeah. And, and, and yeah, and so, again, for those of us, again, because most of us weren't alive to see that transition, we can pop in, you know, any of the Fab Five cartoons or any of the Merry Melodies, and that's just what we're used to seeing. But well, we kind of have to remember there was a point where those kinds of dis, uh, those kinds of cartoons disappeared for a while. And yeah. this is what Marshall was talking about walking into the movie theater and seeing such a well-choreographed, well-animated cartoon. Mm -hmm. Jesse and I were looking at some of the background um, images from that cartoon earlier today. Uh They're just frozen, you know, on the DVD. And even the backgrounds look fantastic. It doesn't look quick or cheap at any point, you know. It's done to the fullest, this uh, short that we see. And the whole cartoon is just one domino effect (laughs) of things that just boom, boom, boom. It's a Rube Goldberg. Yes. It's a Rube Goldberg disaster for poor Roger, who's trying to keep baby Herman from getting hurt. Yeah, so baby Herman is just trying to climb up to uh, on a kitchen counter and to get to the cookies on top of a refrigerator, and it's slapstick. It's like a lot of silly things happen, and 
By the way, the scope of the room is huge. It makes that room look like... <laughs> well, for two, a baby and a rabbit, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right. We, we, get the, we get the sense of scale. Not that the sense of scale matters much when you've got a stretch and squash cartoon thing going on, but we do get the sense of scale because you do... The, when the, before the mother leaves, you, you Roger only goes up to, like, what, her knees? Right below her knees, yeah. yeah. You see the bottom of the skirt, and you see the legs with the seam on the back of them, and she's walking in high heels, and then right. she leaves. So that already tells you how big the house is and how big they are. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And from the rolling pin to the pop, coffee pot getting hit on his head to running into the wall to the electricity. The laundry board. To the laundry board to the, the knives flying in. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's all one, like you're saying, a Rune Goldberg of a cartoon. Yep. Until eventually the refrigerator gets dropped on his Roger's head. head. And uh, it shows that there's tweeting birds and he messed up his lines. Instead of stars. Stars. Look! Look! Clang! Look! Clang, clang. And, Not produce stars. And amazing to think that an entire thing could be ruined. And then that's when that pullback happens. Richard Williams said if this opening shot, he was so worried. He was so worried. He kept talking to Robert Zemeckis. He says if this opening shot doesn't work, the rest of the movie won't work. So from the second they pull back and you see Joel Silver come in, nothing, Robert Herman, you were great, you were perfect, you were better than perfect. Yeah. And then you see everyone start of start striking everything. You see the dress fall down around also, the legs. Also, yeah. Baby Herman. So Baby Herman seems to be like this, like again, looks like a, a one-year-old. But then it cuts away it, when it, they cut. Suddenly, his first line is, "What the hell is wrong with that?" With the most harshest <laughs> male-sounding voice, like, "What the hell is wrong with that take?" And you realize, oh, <laughs> this is brilliant. Oh, my. Like, just process this for a second. It's a baby. Like, I, like it looks like a baby. And he walks and talks and smokes cigars and sounds like he's in his 50s. And it's funny because it's low-key low womanizing, That, that alone is just <laughs> yeah. brilliant. The, f- the second he started, this is what we're talking about, finding new things as you're growing older. Because if you... <laughs> if you hear a little baby saying, like, you know, Raul, I'll be in my trailer, taking a nap. Excuse me, toots. <laughs> like, like you but, just might think, okay, he's just going to his trailer. But as you become older, you're like, oh, my God, that actor. That's but, by the way, yeah. Richard Williams loved this character so much. He he was the one who animated by his baby own Herman hand. Sicily. Yeah. Yeah. By yeah. his own hand. Do you know that uh, Michael Eisner was not happy that they got Joel Silver to play that director? Oh, uh, yeah. Didn't he? they disguise him? Apparently? They did. They did. And and they, they made him look like some other... They, they took... Uh, they pulled <laughs> Inspirato from another couple directors. And uh, Michael Eisner watched the film and said, I like who you got for the director. And they told him it, it was Joel. And he didn't say anything after that. Nah. <laughs> Just... Okay. <laughs> Walks away. Well, I mean, I think one thing we established was Eisner was like, kind of, when, when, as the budget started to escalate on this film. Oh, like, yeah. Th- so, um, they agreed on, they, there was, it, the budget actually was going to be 50 million, but they said that that was too much. And they agreed on 30, but it did start to escalate because, look at this, come on. That, um, that's why I say the, the, the figures that I had read were an estimated 70 because they went over. And mm-hmm. over and over. They actually had to film in London for most of it because in London you're able to actually rent a lot of sound. There's another at thing time. too. Richard Williams did not want to deal with the Disney bureaucracy, mm-hmm. and he's like, "I'm staying in England. Mm-hmm. I am not. Le- I'm not coming to California. I'm not working. I'm not going to you guys." 
And they said, okay. You're not taking me to Burbank. And You're not taking me to Burbank alive. And one of the reasons he agreed to do this is they Disney agreed to fund his baby project or his uh, magnum opus in quotations, uh, The Thief and the Cobbler, which we'll discuss in the That's future. got a fascinating history. I, I want that to is about that someday. one interesting. Yeah, that's like probably the most interesting uh, animation history in terms of an animated a film. A ma- major film like that, yeah. Yeah, so... Um, and But it's like, I'm glad he worked on this, geez. Yeah. Uh, he put in so much time and care to this. But, mm-hmm. um... Uh, I... It, it's... we. This is, like, probably the part where then we get introduced to Eddie Valiant. Right. Mm-hmm. Tones. It, Tones. It, <laughs> takes that drink. Takes that drink. Yep. Um, it's already established he is an alcoholic. Yes. Which is... Right the, off the bat. Because <laughs> it's a Disney picture. <laughs> it's a touchstone a, picture. Luckily, this is PG, by the way. Yeah, it toes the line, but yeah. This is a PG it's PG. Film. Yeah. Back when PG actually, like, you know, meant Me- something. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but then uh, we get introduced... It, th- this is when we figure out it's 1947, and Eddie Valiant is har- being hired by Art, uh, Art K. Maroon, who is... The idea is that he owns Maroon Pictures, which does cartoons and stuff. Um... And uh, he wants to hire Eddie to uh, spy on Roger's wife because he thinks that Roger's wife is basically cheating on him. Um, and wants to get the rabbit bat focused again on, to, like, on his job. Yeah, well, that's what he claims at least. And the story building is great too because we start getting little plans. Forget it, I don't work Toontown. What's wrong with Toontown? Every Joe loves Toontown. Yeah, yeah. We already get hints of what's great about. Um, how they handle Eddie Valiant's character as there's already hints about his personality. Uh, cl- clearly, he's not comfortable with cartoons. Right, he says um, you can get Joe to do the job because I ain't going. Yeah, or and also that he drinks a lot. Like, he sees the alcohol in Art Cameron's office and is already pouring himself one a drink without even asking. Establishing shot of the brandy, and then... <laughs> yeah, and then not only... but. Here's another thing too. He does have a sense of humor. He like he makes little jokes with. He's got the good noir like sort of detective like quippiness. Yeah, mm-hmm. but yeah. but he also has a sense of humor. Yeah, which uh, okay, we'll, we'll get into the whole. We'll get to that. No, I, I know, know you, you want to gush about. that I part. know, I know, but I'm gonna. Wait. I want to say there's a little establishing thing that I like in this scene, and that's where you see the revolving wall to the film vault. <gasps> yes, that's behind the pistol pack and possum. That's right. Poster. Another fun plant. Yeah, uh, we're talking a lot about plants, and we'll get to them as we keep going. This, that's through. great. Sure. Chekhov's plant. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah. A lot of people complain about um, like, oh, there's so. So many anachronistic things in here, and what? it's a movie about cartoons living in our society. But yeah, you, I'm surprised, but how much the rest of the details fit into this, like really well. Yeah, like how, like the little care, like you said, there are so many plants. Um, but another thing that um, gets noticed, so there is a point where he's looking out the window and he sees like. Uh, cartoons, and then he gets scared by Dumbo. There's a Dumbo jump scare. And um, Art Cameron says, I got him on loan from Disney. Him and the half the cast of Fantasia. I pointed this out. So I said, David, what? this is 1947. What's going on right now with Walt Disney? And um, We're in the midst of the package films right now. So uh, um, this is the time where uh, so Walt Disney is not doing right now, or, or doing good at that point. Like, Disney animation is, 
um, just suffered through a, a writer's strike. Um, World War II happens, and all these animators are gone to war. So he's, like, right now losing money. And he had to do package films because they were cheap. And they were easy to do. And they were more likely to bring in more money. Um, uh, I think the last film he would have done at this point would have been Fun and Fancy Free. Um, so when I, when I it brought up, like, I got him on loan from Disney, it means Arkham Room gave, bought him, or gave him, basically gave him money so he could use those cartoons. And I realized, David. <laughs> <laughs> They just basically showed, while Disney is not doing well, this is a point when animation is starting to go under right now. Like, it, it, I mean, it's true. For, I mean, Maroon Studios isn't doing that well either, for, as far as I yeah, can Yeah, this it gets hinted later on that our, he's wants to sell the company. And in reality, Disney wasn't also doing great in the 80s, you know? Yeah. That, so it was meta. So yeah. it's, it's, <laughs> no, it is weird how meta this is. Like, this is like, I'm like, David, this is... Like, this is so real to life. Like, 1947, cartoons were not doing well. And then even as we go forward, they're, like, talking about, like, oh, they're losing work and they have to find work elsewhere. Like, especially with the Ink and Paint Club, I'm like, oh, my God. Wow. Work's been kind of slow since cartoons Cartoons went went to to color. color. Yeah. Yeah, it's not only that. It's like, why does Donald Duck and Daffy have to play at the Ink and Paint Club if they're such big names? Do they really need the money that bad? Yes, they do, because this is when... And then it adds to the credibility of seeing, uh, you know, the cows out there for the cattle call, you yeah. know, and, and everybody yeah. else that's auditioning. You know, times are hard. Look at them. It They're really, working yeah. hard, you know, trying All, to get that job. Yeah, it's for everybody. It's tunes in particular. <laughs> and it, it's just... Spielberg told them, I don't just want to see a movie where cartoons are interacting with people. He says, I want you to make sure that we have a really good story. Mm-hmm. That's oh one of yeah, those very real things that grounded into it. You know, it, it is. It, it, you can you feel it. Like the set, the, the way the setup is is great. Because then, because you know, Eddie gets his fifty dollar check. He's offered a hundred dollars. He's under hundred bucks to go take these pictures. Yeah, so he to he, go to the Ink and Paint Club. So, well, 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 sorry, yeah, he demands a hundred. He demands a hundred. <laughs> sorry, you're right. He demands it. He's given half up front. Yeah, and Maroon's gonna give him the other half. Later. And all he has to do, he even said go. Uh, uh, go in, all you need to do is go to the Ink and Paint Club, humans only, which is like, uh, now, and this does get addressed in the novel as well, that there's a kind of racism and a kind of, like, parallel between... It's like a segregation thing going yeah, on. Yeah, there is clearly a segregation. It's a civil rights film. Yeah, yeah it really oh. is. It really is. And, uh, in, in the move in the book, it kind of touches on this more, like, it, it, there is a sort of, like, um, tunes are seen as lower class, and, um... In the book, also, it shows humans, human tunes being a bit better than animal tunes. Mm. Like, and, um, um, it, this, it, this gets touched upon in here. Again, it's all in the subtext, though. And, I mean, wow. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's so weird. Like, the, the little details that are put into this. Well, that's crazy now that you say that, because I'm thinking, like, yeah, human tunes. I mean, that's the equivalent, I mean, for civil rights, of being fair-skinned if you were black, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then we are at the club, and who 
is doing the big number, Jessica Rabbit. Exactly. You know, wow. and uh, and she's the human of the tunes, which is really crazy to think about when you take that step back. You're like, oh snap, that's the light skin. You know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow. It's, wow. It's okay for the men to hoot and holler over her. Yeah. You know, uh, but Betty is. Meanwhile, I mean, she's human, but not as human. By the way, that's Mae Questel. Hmm. That is the actual voice of Betty Boop. Wow. Oh yeah. Which and, is. And- and there's actual Mel Blank is also in this yeah. too, right before he passed well, away. Well, here's another thing that David and I know. So let's go back to Betty Boop really quickly. Her, work, her whole thing is um, uh, work's been hard since cartoons have gone to color, but I still got it, Eddie. Boop boop be doo boop. You got she's from the 1930s. This mm-hmm. is the same actress from the 1930s, and she's still got, got it. She <laughs> actually still got it. Like the voice actress who this is like 50 years later. Still got it. Well, and you, you know, you think about it too. Uh, how long, you know, we, uh, Rusty Taylor passed away just recently this year. Yes. She had that going all the way up until when she was in her, what, 90s? Something like that? Uh, she, she, she was uh, 80s, I think. I gotta look. I saw that. It was like, she, you know, she she lived a long, full life, Rusty Taylor. But, like, mm-hmm. looking at the credits, like, she was she was doing Minnie Mouse pretty much up until the end. And she didn't, and she never lost that, like, energy with that character. Mm-hmm. Which is really impressive. So, and um... I, and I feel it's the same with Mae Questel, too, at this point. Yeah. Well, with Betty Boop. Yeah, exactly. I mean, Mel Blanc, we, I mean... Yeah, as, you know he's there as Daffy. He's there as uh, Bugs. He's he's got all these characters. He, he does he does most of the voices for um, Looney Tunes, and it's if, this is like uh, not long before he passed away. Mm-hmm. And the only voice he could not do was Yosemite Sam. He's like, I just can't. My voice can't do that anymore. But <laughs> he can do all the other voices really right. well. This little pity went to market. <laughs> <laughs> so. Um, <laughs> It's Hades. funny we're we're jumping ahead to the Ink and Pain Club. There's that one little bit where oh, Eddie's walking yeah. through the lot, kind of kind of low, sort of interacting with a few of the other characters, and then we get the bit where he tries to get on the red car. Oh well, yeah, yeah. And that's important because uh, you know there's a really great bit where he you know he shows the check. What do I look like a bank? Door closes. <laughs> he runs to the back of the red car, jumps on with a couple other kids, helps a third kid get on, and then talks about. Hey, mister, don't you have a car? Who needs a car in L.A. when we got the finest... The best, the best trans- public, public trans- transportation system in the another world. Another plant. So, here's, but here's another thing. I think it's... Uh, what makes this work, too, is people... Like, we all grew up in L.A. Or, well, close to the L.A. area, or... And, like, enough to see, like, witness this. And <laughs> it's weird, because, like, in, in Los Angeles, you need a car. Like... You, yeah. For, I mean, I, I took public transportation in L.A. for, like, five years, and it's hard. Yeah. It yeah. is yeah. hard. And this is another one of those things that Spielberg was talking about. It has to have a good story. They took a very real thing that was happening in history, mm-hmm. and it was very real that all the freeway, you know, development was really trying to push out the red car. The freeways were following the exact same lines and paths that all the train tracks were already on that the red car was on. It's kind of sad when you see how romanticized it is in a film if nobody's ever had the chance to see a red car in person. Mm-hmm. And to think that it was so political for them to say, oh, we're just going to put all these businesses out just so we can build this super highway. Right. It, it, you know, actually, the interesting thing is where near where Kayla and I live, there is a Pacific Electric red car that's been preserved as a museum. Cool. And you can go into it sometimes and, you know, learn about, you know, how they used to run all the way down into, like, the Seal Beach area. And um, right there on Electric Avenue. And that's why it's called Electric Avenue. 
because it's got the red car. It was the original route. And if you look at the, um, if you look at a map, if you look at like the the like the uh, the Long Beach area, and you follow a route from Seal Beach all the way up through like Long Beach, you see one diagonal line that's still carried through to this day, very loosely connected, running through the whole thing, and that's the route the red car used to take. And you're talking about your plants. Remember when we see the uh, red car building? There's a sign going up over yep. it, now owned by Cloverleaf Industries. Now, we don't know who that is yet Not as a first-time viewer, but we're like, okay, that's they were being bought, but that's something to uh, us. And then even then, he enters the... Another plan is he enters the bar, because um, well, the first thing he wants to do with the money is give it to his... I. They're clearly in a romantic relationship, so right now I'm going to assume girlfriend. Mm -hmm. I don't know if they're engaged or whatnot, but I'm going to just assume girlfriend. They have a rocky relationship. They do. And to quickly interject more clues about who Eddie is, gets to his place. Wait, 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 before we do that. Okay. There is a point, actually, where he sees uh, uh, one of the guys, like, completely drunk and, like, passed out, and he's like, what's wrong with Earl? And it's, like, laid off. And he worked for the red car company, and they said... Just got bought by Cloverleaf, and now they're doing cutbacks. He got a two weeks... Right. Yeah. But before that happens, when he gets out the red car... Yes. He sees his sign. Oh, that's the up. Valiant sign, yeah, that's he right. See, he sees, so so uh, that's what I'm just quickly saying. Oh, okay. is, he, is We see him fix his sign, so we know that obviously his business is somewhat dilapidated? Question mark. We're not sure. Sees the mailman. Hey, Eddie. What you got for me? Usual bills. What does he do? Throws them in the trash. And then goes into the that, bar. Okay, so I was trying to remember the order of operations there. Yeah, yeah. That's that first, and then he goes they're to just the bar. Little, the, This it, is hard because there's so many details. It is, it is. And that's just, there's these little things like, okay, so he drinks, he doesn't like tunes, he tosses his bills in the trash. We're still <laughs> really getting to know who this guy is. But he, but he, but he, he helps that little kid get on yeah, the red car. And he even's like, car. Yeah, thanks for the cigarette. You know, and yes, beautiful detail uh, to recognize Caleb that, you know, the guy was like, off, you know, more clues, more clues as to okay. And then finally, it gets revealed because uh, he gets angry at a guy who is making fun of him for now working for Art Camera Room and it's like, Oh, you working for Tunes now? Uh, is it Scurry Squirrel? You know, blah blah blah. And then he gets angry at him and he he's like, What's his problem? And then it gets revealed by his girlfriend, Tune killed his brother, <laughs> which is like, <laughs> I gotta admit, it's Dropped a piano, piano on, on his head. head. And Jesse was noticing earlier there was that shot. When she says it... Yeah. As soon as she says, uh, you know, Toon dropped a piano on his head, everybody just goes right back to their business all at the same time. <laughs> like, oh, okay. Because first they turn around and she's like, Toon goes brother, like, oh, like, everybody, what, huh? oh, uh. Yeah. And then after, okay, back to business. Oh, okay. Also, if we can pepper things of, of questionable substance, <laughs> we're watching and Jesse goes, why is there a cowboy at the bar? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, he's there. There's a, there's a, there's a there's a there's a really spooky cowboy. He's just kind of sitting there. He never hardly interacts with anything, but he's. I, I, was, I noticed it too. Nineteen forty seven version of a trucker in the bar. He's got a bandana. Like, what's happening? He's got, he's well, got the shack, it, it like, is Los Angeles. Maybe he's doing a part. I don't know. Um, I mean, I, uh, a friend of ours, uh, uh, Darren DePaul, used to say, would say like. Um, how he did shows in uh, New York, and then he would go to like one of the restaurants or like to get, grab something really quickly, and he'd be in full costume. <laughs> yeah, and it's like, um, it's like I just had to grab a bagel really quick. It's like, yeah, thanks, and would run back and had to perform again. <laughs> I think what's funny about that cowboy is then later when we come back 
to the bar, he's still in cowboy getup. So the, yeah. yeah, and he obviously um, has his seat. You know, yeah. yes. Mm-hmm. There's so, very, very stable fixtures at the 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 terminal bar. Is that what it's called? Yeah, clearly there are patrons who go are there every single. Well, day. Eddie lives right across the street mm-hmm. from it, so we know where he gets his fix. It also helps that you know um, that uh, Dolores is the bartender. Seems yes. to be the person in charge. Also, yeah. can we talk about the technical genius of making that bar rattle every single time? Yeah, by? I love that. <laughs> You're like, oh, that's it's right outside. It's I guess it realism. would be doing that to it, wouldn't it? It really gives it some character. Mm-hmm. Also, we're talking about how great of a noir this film. Right after we see him disappear down that stairwell, we got that great crane shot of the alley. Yeah. You know, down. You're like, oh, what is it with detectives in alleys that looks so classic? Alleys are great. Especially yeah. when, like, I love how he's in the alley and then in the background you actually see a red car go by with the sparks coming off the top of that. Again. On the cable. They, it, um, Just I, further establishing the, the prominence of the red car well, in this story. Not only so. that, it, this film never forgets it's a noir. Like, they yeah. try to keep a lot of the noir tropes. Right. Jesse, what was the thing we were hearing about earlier about the red car that they built? The, the, the wheels could come up and do something. Oh, uh, the wheels could come up and it could crab, so it could go left and right to switch which track it was on. Oh. Whoa. That way it could make it seem like there was more red car traffic happening than there really was. So <laughs> you'd see it go one direction, it'd go off screen, then switch tracks and then come back the other direction. That's amazing. <laughs> Just learned that today. That's amazing. Wow. Yeah. So Holy every time crap. you see a... It's, it's always going in the back. That's that's awesome. Going back to Dolores's line, her delivery, you know, mm-hmm. to and killed his brother, she is absolutely selling it. She really oh, yeah. I mean, not just that line, but the entire movie. And I really think uh, the actors and actresses in this movie really drive it forward with their selling it. Oh, Bob yeah. Bob Hoskins is absolutely amazing in, in every scene in the movie. Yes. Okay, he is playing like a hardcore American detective. This is a British man. Mm-hmm. They do our accent better than we do. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he, like, he sounds more American than I do. Like, he wow. Pretty, you know what's funny is he does pretty much the exact same voice for when he played Mario later. And it works. <laughs> yeah. It works. His new, his, new, his, 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 his uh, gumshoe voice still works as a New York plumber. <laughs> Listen. A, an Itali- a New York Italian plumber. Listen, he was trying. They were all trying. Hey, That's hey, don't get me wrong. Hey, I know he hated playing the role, but I still think he made a great Super Mario. Let's <laughs> just be real with you all here. I, Bob Hoskins is a saint, as far as I'm concerned. Also, I have a question if anybody can answer it for me, because I actually was drawing a blank today, and I, I didn't get time to do some research on it. All of these cartoons are pulled from different areas and pulled from different places. Where is that gorilla from? Where is the bouncer from? Um... um Good question. There, okay, there was a couple of... I'm not sure it's the same gorilla. It might be the same gorilla. He does look a little bit like Ajax. Ajax the gorilla showed up in a couple of Donald Duck shorts. Okay. Through Disney. It, it's Bongo the gorilla. Bongo the gorilla. Bongo. Okay. What was Bongo in? Uh, so for those of you who are, again, if you haven't seen that part of the scene, it's it's right after he's walking down the alley, knocks on the doorway. We were talking about it earlier. He's in Roger Rabbit's cartoon spin. And then oh, the, um, he's... I mean... He just... He, this is his first role. Okay. Okay! So he's yeah. an original. He's, he's made cameo appearances in, like, a couple of other 
like cartoon episodes. But he does, like I said, to me, he bears a resemblance to Ajax, the escaped gorilla in the Donald Duck. So, they also say he resembles Konga the ape from Banjo-Kazooie. That's because that's weird trivia on a Disney wiki that anybody yeah. can edit. So, yeah, it is, so it is a Richard he was in, creation. Oh, he, yes. wasn't, he was inspired by Ajax the gorilla. Okay, there we go. So, yeah. There's obviously a couple we'll get to in a, in a little bit that were that obviously are originals for the film, but definitely mm-hmm. have inspirado from elsewhere. You Absolutely. Know? Walt um, sent me. Walt said, yeah, what a Walt good password. Said, good password, too. And also the uh, uh, nice monkey suit. Wisers. <laughs> Disney was so particular. They're like, oh my gosh, you have cartoons cursing. Yeah, they were they were so uh, spooked out by that. They were like, we can't have them say that, can we? Can he we? says ass. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, well, <laughs> considering, considering one of the weasels can't uh, name, even though they're never said, is smartass. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the, the boss. The, but you the never hear reason. them. I'm, I'm, you never hear it. No, but you it's, never hear it's the just names. Funny to me, you know. Uh, also, while we're in the pain, I know we've we're coming back to the pain oh. club now. We, we yeah, talked the... a little about it, so we can we'll jump around. That uh, that that dueling piano scene. <laughs> it's really good. Which I just found out uh, was recorded by two Hungarian pianists, but then they had to speed it up. So that it could actually match what a cartoon would be doing, and they actually pulled in Alan Silvestri to come in that day on set. <laughs> actually, uh, there were two computers that were actually running the keys to do the actual fingering of what it was. Oh wow! They had to make sure that everything was working properly so that it matched because they were speeding up what the original piano players did, and also still making sure that the keys if, were lining if up. If I recall, it. Chuck Jones animated. Daffy Duck, right? Right. Okay, yeah, which is weird, because he worked for Disney at one point, like, much earlier on, and said, I never want to work for this company, it's too straight. But he gets a chance to draw Daffy, so, yeah. I mean, And I believe he also did Donald for that sequence, too. Uh, I no, no, it was... That was... Was that Williams who did Donald? I think it was Williams. Well, then, okay, then then I actually have some some sketches that Chuck did of Donald for that, okay. for the previous Oh, that's that cool. Thing. I can see him doing that, It's because, you know, you're like, oh, if he used to work for them. This is, by the way, considering, this is the, with, with that dual piano you get the first you you get your first real sense that like all bets are off because mm. like suddenly it's like wow these two characters from competing studios are in the same movie together they're dueling but at least they're in the same movie together sharing sharing the spotlight that's fascinating to me you know i love that also as a kid i didn't understand what scotch on the rocks and i mean ice meant. <laughs> yeah. i didn't understand i'm like why why else does he mean i i actually didn't know what that meant as a kid so you know you know uh, I, I don't know what that says about my childhood, but <laughs> I also knew what happy hour was as a kid, too. So There's an interesting bit of trivia here. So you know how the waiters are the penguins from <laughs> Mary Poppins? <laughs> yes. And they don't come until, you know, the 1960s. Uh, mm-hmm. There's a trivia bit somewhere that where that they said, well, we want them in the movie anyway, so we just imagined that they were already tunes, and then Walt... Found hired them, them, hired them after find in this universe after finding them working at the. See, see that this is where they can get away with it. It's like <laughs> you can get any tune from any time period. Technically, you could just say they just weren't in this film. And that's the, the question: yeah. we don't know. We don't know the origins of tunes. We don't know where they're from. We don't know how they come into existence. They're just there until Walt gave us our big break in the sixties, man. Yeah, you know, that was uh, that's very good. Mm-hmm. Um, I the, love it. Then we get introduced to. Um, my gosh, uh, uh, Marvin Acme, <laughs> and, which is, by the way, how messed up is this? He owns Toontown. Why does a human own a world that Toons live in? Like that? Is, that's so. 
like talk further it. further reinforcing the idea of tunes as kind of second class citizen. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Going back to civil rights. <laughs> also, his introduction is is a plant. Yeah. He <laughs> takes the ink out and. <laughs> Yeah. Squirts Eddie with it, you know, and then and then he says, calm down, it's disappearing ink, no hard feelings, I hope. And then we see it disappear. That's all we're going to say about it for now, because it disappears and we think that's the end of it. We Plants. think it's a joke, we think it's a throwaway gag, but, you know. Uh, how, it's there. But how interesting, and Bob Zemeckis talked about it, they thought it would be funny, you know, they got Stubby K to play him, and they actually gave uh, a look to the person that... You know, makes all of these crazy contraptions that we've been seeing, and all these boxes that get shipped to oh, like the coyote or anything. Yeah, and I always thought it was that way because I'd seen Roger Rabbit. Like every time I watched uh, Wiley Coyote and the Roadrunner, mm-hmm. I could see Marvin Acme like in his factory somewhere just setting those off. Oh, <laughs> coyotes are <laughs> your number guy. one customer. Yeah. You know? Oh, send him this, <laughs> send him that. Here's a box of chocolates. Thanks for being my number one customer. <laughs> yeah. Uh. Uh. But yeah, no, he's great. But he um, also says something very important, too. Mr. Acme never misses a night when Jessica comes to perform. Mm. That's also more a question like, okay, so we're supposed to take pictures of this guy? Which is what we get to right after that, after that number of her strutting her stuff on the walkway. And then it's more detective stuff, right? You know, here he is with the camera. Here he is, like, which we asked Dolores for earlier. Uh, no, 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 no. Let's back up for a second. <laughs> <laughs> Jessica Rabbit comes out. By the way, we have not been told what she oh, looks yeah. like. We just know she's Roger Rabbit's wife. Roger Rabbit, who is a rabbit silly character. And she comes out and everyone in the audience, along with everyone that was in the theaters and everyone watching it, is questioning, Oh my god, am I in love with a two now? Am I attracted to cartoons now? First, I, I love the th- for, that the first thing you see is her leg, yes, and then her chest. So <laughs> sticking out if from you, behind. If the you curtain. guys don't know what Jessica Rabbit looks like, where what planet are you from? Google her. <laughs> she is a leggy, leggy, skinny, babonga, big boobed, redhead bombshell, and she is clearly meant to be like clearly whoever drew her was. Really horny. <laughs> well, also, for those of you who are animators who are listening to the show, she is seven heads high. So if that says anything for your proportion, for those of you who know what I'm your little to, drawings uh, look like, yeah. and also for those of yeah, you who are going into animation and uh-huh. are learning little bits about gravity, um, she <laughs> is designed to have an opposite effect. When you would so, move when your hair would go a certain way or your boobs would move it, a certain uh, it way. Is clear, it is clearly her boobs. So, like, her boobs, um, the when she walks, the way uh, a woman's boobs would go up and down, it's the opposite for her. And that's to basically make her boobs incredibly apparent. She was intended to be drawn sexy. There is no doubt about it for this character. And she sings, Why Don't You Do Right? <laughs> Which is actually not voiced by Kathleen Turner. No, uh, well, Kathleen Turner isn't known for being a singer, so... No, but she goes uncredited in this film. I'm trying to think, did she, like, uh, what did she, did she do anything? You know, that's a whole other uh, discussion, why people are uncredited in films and why... (laughs) Yeah. The and and the with, you know, you know, starring, featuring, you know. yeah. Also with, you know, in the credits, mm-hmm. you know, how much you take of a pay reduction. 
if you're on contract on loan from another studio, that's not as apparent these days. It's still a little bit there, like, oh, I work for Warner Brothers, oh, I work for this person, so-and-so appears courtesy of. But, you know, that's, I don't know the exact reasons why she didn't. But also I- they talk about that, um, the the Valley of the Prince, you know, it's not, it's not Uncanny Valley, but they talk about the, the princess curse. You know, when you're trying to draw a princess, like a Disney princess, and you have to make her humanoid, when you start to exaggerate too many features, they start to look scary. Yeah. And so that was one of the original reasons why Richard did the anti-gravity thing with Jessica, because they said, <laughs> well, we still want to make her cartoony, but still make her look very real. So that mm-hmm. was one of the things that was very cartoony about her. Right. I do love the line, um, you know, she's married to Roger Rabbit? Yeah, what a lucky goil. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. That really just shows how tunes view the world versus us as people. You yes. Know? Uh, comedy for them, wh- whatever's funny, that is what's really important for them, whereas for us, it's mostly about looks. It, yeah. It really means something else for us. You know? That's a really good point. That's a really yeah. good point. Because they, they, they do emphasize how the like Roger later on is talking about the whole, the whole purpose of a tune is to make people laugh. That's like yeah. what they yeah. thrive and the, on. And then so when she that, they would put value in that. And actually later on, when places. Valiant asks um, Jessica, "What do you see in him?" and she says, "He makes me laugh," which is also talking yeah. about one of those spiritual things. Kind mm. of growing up is is uh, I know for me a thing that makes me kind of be reminded of. Oh well, that's that's definitely what I need to look for in a person. If I can make a person laugh, then then I'm set, you know? Yeah. And it's funny, We uh, what else have we learned about Eddie at this point? Because he's actually very allured by this entire performance of her. She oh, pulls yeah. him by the tie, and he's actually catching his breath, and he's actually gulping for a bit. So, yeah. all right, anti-tune, but obviously she still has an effect <laughs> on him. Oh, yeah. Well, well, and the thing is, he's not so anti-tune. We, we know we, why. We, we know about the tune killing his brother now, but when he when he interacts with Betty, there's a little bit of a softness there. Well, there's yes. a familiarity. Yeah, Betty, here's you a, still got it. Here's the thing. There's a familiarity. He knows her. And it, it, well, later on, we realize he actually knows a lot of these tunes. And I, again, I, I'm going to wait. <laughs> but um, there, yeah. there is one thing that kind of bugged me. Uh, and this is just due to Bob Hoskins' performance. Um, it, so there's many times when you see a tune do something. He sees a tune do something. And he looks like he's seen it for the first time where he's just shocked. And maybe you can chalk it up to the fact he's basically drunk and is just, like, out of it. But I'm like, why are you shocked by a tune flying up in the air or doing, like, a, like about to bring out this gun to shoot uh, another tune? It's like, is it, like, you, you've clearly later proven that you grew up with tunes. You know them. You worked with them. Clearly you understand how but they he, work. He probably but... interacted with them in Toontown more than he did here. Yeah. I mean, that's a thought, too. When Donald's busting out a cannon to shoot at Daffy... Do you remember what Toontown's like? No, I do. But I'm saying this is is not in Toontown. This is now cartoons interacting with real-world physics. And I don't think even if you worked with tunes and did things for tunes and had worked a lot in Toontown that you would ever get desensitized to the danger of it all. You know what I mean? Uh, Exactly. And that's that's my counter to that. And also, in, in the reality of it all, let's remember that Bob Hoskins was acting without any idea what any of it was yeah, going to be. Yeah, that's true. true. That's you know? very good and, and, you know, there's, there's a deleted scene 
the pig head scene. Oh, that's you know? horrifying. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. But, that... but just talking about the, the unfinished, we saw some of the footage from it before they had drawn the pig on. And even seeing him with a wireframe on top of his head and pulling nothing and his head coming back and feeling the boom when it comes, he really is that good. Mm-hmm. He was that good that when he was acting with absolutely nothing, every flinch, every spit, every, every time his eye would, yeah. would close, I mean, yeah. that, that film would not be what it is were it not for all of his reactions before any of it was even oh, rendered. Yeah. Oh, so yeah. He was probably just going for an overact than an under. Cause, yeah. And it's for the you best. Can't go, yeah, it can't go wrong with that, right? Because if it's yeah. underplayed, I would have lost interest a long time ago. Well, again, <laughs> again, it would be weird if a detective who works with tunes under undersold it. Exactly. Again, this is yeah. a guy who works you know. with tunes, and as is established later on, there's a reason he he is he does what he does. Okay, but so he we also a little shout out to the crows from Dumbo making a cameo here <laughs> as the band. Oh, that's yes. yeah. <laughs> I love that. I love that there's two crows have to operate the bass. Did you notice that? Yes. One of them's one, yeah on the neck. One's on the neck. One's on the bottom. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, they, they do the, the performance happens, and... Then he's jumping, and we see him doing the detective sneak with the camera that he asked for earlier from Dolores. And, right. uh, basically Marvin Acme is asking to play patty cake with Jessica Rabbit. After, this is after the gorilla throws him out of the car. Yeah. After, yeah, because once he gets thrown pe- outside... He's peering into the, the keyhole, mm-hmm. and uh, <clears throat> when he gets thrown out, I think... He he specifically like I don't let me catch you pee your peep you your peeping mug around here again or something Got it. like that. Booga 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 booga. Again, has a sense of humor. And then after he you know looks into the window and hears that they're both there, then he pulls out the camera and then you know he does a little sniping <laughs> picture goes away picture goes away. All we're, yeah, all we're here. hearing is is Patty Cake, Patty Cake. He's getting excited, and we hear Jessica very getting overly excited. Yeah, you know if we know and, what we mean. And then you just see him going, "You've got to be kidding me!" So the that. visuals left completely up to you. And then what makes it even worse is it cuts immediately to poor Roger slamming his head against the blinds, crying, "Patty Cake, it's not true." And then you see the pictures, and it <laughs> literally is just Marvin Acme and Jessica playing Patty Cake. Yeah, like it wasn't anything like you thought it was, kids. It, yeah. And then but it, it means something entirely different if you're a tune. <laughs> so. Apparently, that's considered as bad as cheating. But what a great gag right after. Yeah. Not my Jessica. It's just copy. And then it's... <laughs> He's flipping through them so fast, he's got the little flipbook like animation going yeah, on. There's so many things that make that a cartoon moment, you know? That's how they react in our real world. They yeah. talked a lot in production about what are the rules, you know, yeah. between yeah. how, how a, a, a cartoon reacts in our real world, you know? Um, even the, the, <laughs> the poor handkerchief. Oh. You know, there's, there's a great Foley sound. The second it goes into that bucket... It's it's heavy yeah. and it's wet yeah. Yeah. and it lands in there and you're, and you're just like ew. Wow. Uh, another plant. Uh, Roger gets given a drink and then basically turns into an alarm bell. Yeah, the steam whistle. The steam whistle. My my bad. Everything something breaks. like that. It's basically an alarm bell steam whistle kind of deal. It feels that way. Yeah, and again, the what a great plant too because we're like okay, we think that's just a. Uh, we think that's just a way that he's going to handle this drink. He says, oh, thanks, I needed that, you know. <laughs> and also, here's the great part of the who done it, you know, because what are all the people in play? Uh, a lot of dames is what Eddie tells him. Dames, I'll tell you, dames, we're gonna, I'll tell you, me and Jessica are going to be happy 
Do you hear me? Happy. H a p p p i, and then does the whole makes a rabbit shaped hole. You know, and so we're like, okay. So he said, whatever happens, we're gonna be happy. So that that could put him as a suspect. Oh yeah. Makes him suspect number one so far. Yeah. And also, I think it was Spielberg who said we need to add a scene. One of his one of his things. We need to add a scene. Where it's a little bit emotional for Roger after that, because there wasn't a scene in there. Oh yeah, it shows like he's looking at pictures of him and his wife in like different, uh, mm-hmm. like on vacation at the beach, uh, yeah, diner. It's it's adorable. And it's like oh. They yeah. actually took that footage of the back alley and the box moving of him sneaking in on, uh, and and spying. Uh, I think it was supposed to be Jessica. Uh, but they took that footage and said, "No, we'll use that and we'll turn it into this instead." Oh, you know? okay. So okay. there was—that's a great thing about not having the actor there when you do the same. Yeah, oh, we can make the cartoon do whatever we want to do. You yeah, know, you can put whichever cartoon you want in there. Yeah, exactly. They can do whatever they want there. Also, um, um, talking a little bit because this is that transition of music we're hearing. Can we give it up for Alan Silvestri? Hey. We've already had in the beginning with a maroon cartoon this great little Merry Melodies esque sound. Mm-hmm. And then as soon as we're done with that cartoon, he gives us this really good Hollywood jazz. And then right as soon as Roger's done crying, and we cut to a really excellent film noir shot, the detective. <laughs> no, 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 this is my turn. Okay, this is my, there you go. This there you is go. my favorite <laughs> Disney scene of all time. Oh my god! Well, take it away, Mrs. King. Oh is yours. my god! Okay, okay, so. <laughs> Eddie Valiant returns to his um, office, and you can already see, like, um, it's a mess. Uh, He has clothes hanging up. He clearly hasn't taken the time to clean it up. And uh, he's looking at pictures, and he sees, like, the pictures that he used to um, take of Jessica playing patty cake. But then also notices there were old pictures of him at Catalina, and he starts to smile while looking at him with having fun with Dolores, but then sees pictures of him... And his brother. And then there's this beautiful, gorgeous, like, l- like long take that, like, scans throughout his desk, showing, like, like it's a, like a, where his brother would have sat, Theodore Valiant, and then shows, like, different pictures of their lives. It shows, like, how he and his brother um, used to work, uh, like, uh, go on the road with their dad through Ringling um, Brothers and Bailey Circus. So it shows that, like... Um, their dad was a clown, so you could see where they got their sense of humor. And then them go- getting onto the police force and then going into their own Being business. Being clowns on the police force. Being clowns yeah. on the police force. And then not only that, showing, like, newspapers how they helped tunes. And then- <laughs> I love these headlines. Uh, you know, uh, nephew kidnapping busted up. Uh, yeah. Goofy cleared of spy charges. You know? <laughs> like, this is... And then there's a beautiful musical background just throughout it it's just a like this like detective jazz yeah and i i consider this in a lot of ways eddie's theme you know yeah this is like the most amazing way to show exposition of a character was just pictures and details alone no words are said you just already get the idea of who this character is what he was before and it's amazing like this is one of those shots that's like should that's studied by film students. It's astounding how great it establishes a person's character just through a musical moment. 
Yeah, and the, the, the amazing thing, too, is the way it's used as a transition, because it goes from Eddie kind of shaking, looking at these pictures, to the pan across the desk, and when it gets back to him, it's the next day, and he's asleep on his desk. Yeah, yeah. talking about there was no pre-computer, no tracking or anything, and in fact, you can hear uh, Zemeckis talk about, he knows the exact moment where the lights had to change, it's right when they're looking at the on-the-road-with-dad photo. You know, uh, mm -hmm. Ringling Brothers Barnum. And again, I keep forgetting of all the plants that are in this film. Uh, is there any film in there? Should be. Haven't brought that camera out since our trip to Catalina. Right? That right. was that a long time ago. Here. That was a long time ago. We should do it again sometime. Yeah, sure. Eddie. Yeah, yeah, sure. So that's, of course, when he's getting, he's had to develop the entire role. He's going through all of those bits and then that, that music cue just when it changes, you know, and it gets so sad. Also, um, that sign we talked about earlier, mm -hmm. I didn't even uh, notice it's, it. It says Valiant and Valiant. Yeah, and, and it's the sign that he fixes, but I didn't notice that in that sign it's freshly painted. Like the the letters actually have a it should be what I'm assuming a white embossing on it, whereas when Eddie looks at it later and fixes it, it's just completely black and tarnished. Mm -hmm. You know the dust that's on and, and it says uh, what is it two somethings and a floozy. Is, oh, oh yeah, two um, two clowns, two jokers, yeah, yeah two, two two jesters and a floozy, two jesters yeah. and a floozy, 1938. So that's uh, so somewhere in the last nine years, we we actually never find out how long it's been since Teddy was killed. Yeah, wow. we assume it's fairly like recent enough. Like, um, I'm assuming within the past year or two. You think so? I think so because it's like, like if someone's reeling from a bro his brother's death, um, and then also this is the point when uh, the villain of the movie who did kill his brother, uh, is already starting to make his mark in the real world, too. So I'm assuming it would have been more recent. Well, I don't know, because look at that desk. And yeah, how much dust is on there? Yeah, that's but, our but, only but, but, but that picture look. Also, you, <laughs> yeah. by the way, you could... That, that much dust can't accumulate, actually, over the course of two years. Oh, yeah, true, but... Um, not only that, uh, this is also just based off personal experience and... The grieving process, mm. as someone who did lose someone important in their life, mm -hmm. so I, I, in his how he's reacting to it is not healthy, of course, but like there is a this is clearly something still fresh enough that it, it's like it's become noticeable to the group, but like I. Mm. And again, not to counter too much, but I mean, because everyone's lost somebody in different ways. Mm -hmm. The the only reason I don't think it's that fresh is because I'm assuming these people at the bar are regulars. But so what's his problem? If but it, why what, would it, why would they not know after like if it was like eight years or something like that? I think because it ha it might have happened a couple years prior. That if it was more recent, they would. Well, have heard. That, that's what I'm saying. Within the past two, one or two years, I'm not saying it was like. Months ago, I'm just saying it's. We don't know. We, we don't know. know but... the end, so. Yeah, there was at least enough time in the, from when they started the detective agency that they left their mark on Toontown. There's even a thing that said Mayor Mouse. You you see a headline that's partially cut off says like Mayor Mouse something about the uh, Toontown commemoration or something like that. It's mm -hmm. it's a little covered up. It's near where the goofy spy charge thing is. But it's almost like it's the idea. I what finished in the sentence like I think they got awarded the key to the city by Mickey Mouse at one point for their good deeds. 
or something along those lines. That's at least the impression I was getting. So they've there had enough more, time to. There might be more dates on there than we are paying attention to. Yeah, yeah. I need so, to look into that. Yeah, or rewatch that. But part. I paused it right there, and there's a there's a headline, kind of fuzzy, but it says Mayor Mouse honors, and then there's part of it's covered up. It says Toontown Hall or something like that. Oh, I'm cool. Like, oh, that's cool. Mm-hmm. But it's something. To, it's specifically for the the Valiant Brothers. So. Mm-hmm. Which also takes me back to Bob Hoskins. At this point in the film, when he's looking at these pictures, you can see it in his eyes. He doesn't actually cry, but you can see them getting wet. Yeah. Which is so amazing, you know? Like, he doesn't, like, he doesn't go over, you no. know? He's, he's still a guy, you know? He's keeping it together, and obviously this happened a while ago, so... But you still see his eyes, you know? Mm-hmm. Really great acting on his part. Absolutely. Superb. Superb. So he gets wo- woken up by, I, I guess it's his, to- his old police chief, because it, clearly he knows him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and he's like... And this police chief is admits like, uh, the, how did he word him? Uh, <laughs> we already got a stiff on his hands. Uh, Marvin Acme, the rabbit cacked him last night. What a <laughs> Which they talked about that line again. A bunch of people were saying, "Did you make that up?" They actually got it from a jazz musician <laughs> that they knew, and that, and he had said, "Oh, you heard it? He got cacked." <laughs> and they were like, Cact, it was just a word that this old guy would say that they knew, and so they decided to put it into the film. I love it. I like that it, it goes to, cuts to Bob Hoskins saying, what? And it immediately cuts to them go like driving to the scene of the crime. The Acme Studios. Yeah. Also, our first glimpse of Toontown. Yeah. Right, over the wall. And then, we see Toontown. And then that's when we see Yosemite Sam fly over from Toontown. Ah, oh, my minds are burning. Uh, Jesse was saying too. Toontown has her own son. Yeah, they yeah. have their own son. <laughs> oh like, yeah. Clearly on the opposite side of our <laughs> own. Uh, we go into the studio, into the into the warehouse, and it's sad because this is a scene that Eddie's a little too familiar with. That kind of a crime scene. Yeah. When, when you, you can see tell where the where the safe has been dropped and where the body was. Uh huh. Ugh. You know. And it sucks because then there's that other that that other cop. That other detective, that guy's a dick. The oh, one, yeah, the one point where... Me, yeah. a, a private dick, that's yes. what I mean. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Are you talking about the guy who get, picks up the, uh, hey the guy guys, with the high hammer? You know? The one Did who looks... The one who... I, I joked with Kayla, like, gee, thanks, Leonard Malton. <laughs> <laughs> Did you used to be any valiant? Why did you change your name to Jack Daniels? Ah, ha, ha, ha. Oh, my God. Fall in a portable hole, sir. Oh, thank you. Also, speaking of more plants... They show us every little thing that gets you, used. That's later gonna on. get later. You get the the hammer, the hammer, the punching glove hammer, the portable hole. You seen one of these? <laughs> Trunk, you know. Um, and then we see a buzzer that's or. Uh, oh wait, wait. Um, they accidentally. We, l- l- well, uh, before that happens, there's that bit where he's looking at the safe that got dropped and the yellow paint on the glove, and then Jessica comes up and slaps him in the face. Mm-hmm. Oh, by the way, she slaps him with her left hand, which I find yeah, she she backhands him basically. Yeah, it wasn't so much of a slap like she didn't. I don't even mm. think she turned her fist. She just went whap like that. Also, for all of you animators, <laughs> I keep the animators in mind. The exact yellow paint that uh, is used is USA Yellow, is what it is called. Is that what it is? I mean, really? Yes. If you look at the if you look at the splash seat, uh, the color coding for for all the cells is uh, USA Yellow for um, Roger's hand, and so they match that yellow for the paint that is actually on the rope. Oh man! Mm. Nice. His, his red is also USA Red. 
Okay. That's what it's called, too. So, for those... For by, by, yeah. the, by the way, uh, Roger, and they did this intentionally, and uh, a lot of, actually, at some point, uh, uh, this is done for a lot of characters. Uh, they gave him a red and white and blue um, appearance because um, it has been shown, like, colors of the American flag do appeal to the American audience. <laughs> And that's why Superman, like, Superman is shown to be like that, along with some other superhero characters. There is that, there is that kind of, that combination does. It elicits a response. It does elicit a response, and that was intentional, so. And Richard uh, made sure that they were primary colors as well. So not only do you have the patriotic, but you also have the red, blue, yellow, which for every single cartoon or any single color coding you want to do. Also, mm-hmm. jumping back to another plan I completely forgot about. Wow. There's a hand buzzer that uh, Eddie gets buzzed with from Marvin Acme at, in the Ink and Paint Club. Yeah. And when we see the body getting rolled away, they bump and what happens? All these, like, cartoon hmm. shoes fall out. <laughs> All these, can we talk about? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, you know, you're, you're the, not exactly the ones, the, the, like, the heeled ones that are going, like, da-da-da-da-da. They're jackboots. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're, they are jackboots. They're jackboots. We've got some goose-stepping going on. <laughs> And I didn't know what that was as a kid. I just saw them doing a... It was really silly looking. But you yeah, know, I, I was too busy looking at the goofy shoes that were out there. You know, yeah. the really long goofy yeah. shoes. So, and then we see it, the, the, the hand buzzer fall out. They're trying to get the shoes back. And then Eddie's going to look at it. And as soon as he picks it up... Kane. Kane. What a really... If you're taking still frames for those who like to storyboard, freeze frame that shot and look where his hand is placed. Look where that cane comes in. Look mm-hmm. at the angle it comes in on. It's a really great shape language study and just movement study. Uh, and then an eerie pan up, too, of one of the most diabolical figures that has ever existed on the screen Christopher Lloyd! <laughs> the, uh, I, it's so many people auditioned for this role. Like, uh, John Cleese auditioned, and they said there's no way since people are going to take a Monty Python character seriously. Sorry, <laughs> Tim Curry. Tim Curry wasn't they? Didn't they say Tim Curry was too scary? I don't know, or something like that. No, that's usually that's why he didn't get to play the Joker. They said he was too scary. Yeah. Um, but honestly, I, I can't. I have a hard time picturing anybody but Christopher Lloyd playing Judge Doom. He Dill. did a great job. Talking about finding new things as you're getting older, when I started reading credits as a child, I remember seeing that name, Christopher Lloyd, and thinking somewhere in the back of my head, wait a second, I know I've seen that name somewhere <laughs> else before. <laughs> oh, that's exact. That, that's the sound cue that Jesse and I do when we have a big revelation. And, it, yes. and I think it's rooted in that too. <laughs> Finding out that one of my favorite heroes was also one of my favorite villains just blew my mind as a kid. And it makes sense. (laughs) (laughs) Don't mind that, ladies and gentlemen. That's uh, full moon tonight. That's from from Toontown. Children of the Night. (laughs) (laughs) What sweet music Music. theme. (laughs) Music. The howling. That's a reference. That's a Concord Con- Bad Fur Day reference. Yeah. Hey, this is why I'm with the right people. <laughs> Almost wore that shirt today, by the way. <laughs> oh, 
I, I was going to have all this knocked through and placed as one big uh, but anyway, well, anyway which is a Monty Python reference uh-huh. 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 bringing back to John Cleese right now yeah. <laughs> Richard Williams uh, I forgot about this because we studied him in our in our class he was talking about originally having like a a, a vulture on the shoulder of Judge <laughs> at all times because that's a little too obviously it got cut you know but there are certain things that they were saying that uh, they were trying to keep part of his little prosthetics they gave him a little bit of a beak on the nose mm-hmm. they gave him a little bit more of a pointy chin they tried to sharpen him up just a little yeah. bit to well, also that, give him a vulture you ever notice how, how stiff well, and like calculated his moves like he never, he never when he turns he doesn't he turns either really slowly with his head or there's that bit later where he turns and his whole body just goes shook he's here you know that whole he thing he moves his whole body yeah he's um, very but uh, all his movements are actually that is an animation thing to do is um, if you want to make a villain Sharpen the edges. Yep. If you want to make char- a character more likable, soften them, mm-hmm. round them. That's how. Makes um, sense. That's why uh, when they were like, for example, when they were doing Ratatouille, they're like, "Oh, how are we going to make rats cute, more cute and likable?" And they are like, "Round them out. Make them like round out their ears. Make their faces more round. That's going to that the more roundness, the cuter it's going to be." Robert Zemeckis also made sure that he never blinked on screen. Yeah, yeah when you can see his eyes. Super yeah, cool. And uh, there was always a fan underneath him as well. Yep. Yeah, the fact that he's on his cave is always blowing just a little bit. Always oh, got wind underneath him. It's so good. Yeah. yeah. And also going back to the vulture appearance, uh, you'll notice that he's wearing like an old style duster. Yeah. And up around the top, uh, the top part of the coat actually resembles that of the vulture's collar. Most of them have that collar right oh, where their collar yeah. stops. And he's also wearing. Um, all black, you know, and even his little tuft of hair, you know, how they... That's right, when his hat comes off. Yeah, have that bald head, like, they they really went to that for the look, Um, if you're paying attention. Right. What else have we learned about Eddie New at this point? Because when he says, hand it over, he says, sure, and he actually gives... He actually does... As we mentioned before, he does have a sense of humor, and this has already been established by the fact that one, if you're growing up with your dad who's been a clown for Ringling Brothers, you're going to have that type of sense of humor. Mm-hmm. So that doesn't just go away. Even when he's a, an alcoholic drunk, it's going to stay. So the, so it makes sense why he would do that. So it's like, we don't yeah, know, sure. We don't know much about the judge either, Not other than yet. he's authoritative. And then when he says, the rabbit won't get far, my men... We'll find him. Mm-hmm. What another great entrance, right? Right, oh. no kidding. A cop car, or a, or it's, it's, I guess it's a Bobby car, you know, yeah. if you will, bursts into <laughs> the, the factory and we meet our five weasels, which were originally supposed to be seven. They were originally supposed to be seven. Because they wanted them to be like the sick version of the seven dwarves. Uh, uh, so they gave them names like sleazy, slimy, and they. Well, the, in these names, it's greasy, psycho, stupid, uh, stupid, smartass. I'm trying to remember the fifth one. Uh, uh, now that I was going to say, uh, Wheezy. 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 Thank you. <laughs> Yeah, um, and like three of them are voiced by, by Charles, Charles Fleischer, Fleischer. Mm-hmm. who also vo- voiced uh, Roger Rabbit, and you can hear it. You, you can. can. Yeah, uh, slimy was was cut. Was one of the seven that was cut, but also greasy wasn't originally his name either. When you see all the original seven names, you're like, these are clearly facsimiles of the dwarves, like sick, yeah. sick versions of the dwarves. Yeah, and <laughs> okay, smartass Doc. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and so they and they chose. Um, they probably chose the weasels because of the dopey. a weasels are 
you know, commonly have that association, but B, that they were the villains in uh, Mr. Toad. Mm-hmm. Well, when, when did that come out? Uh, that was 19... Wait. That was during the... We, have, this, this, we haven't had Mr. Toad yet. We haven't had Mr. Toad yet. That came out in, like, That's, 1949. Yeah, I want to say 49. It was, like, toward the end of the package film era. So it's like, they would have... Uh, the Adventures Maybe. of Ichabod and Mr. Toad. It might, the not, last even, package it might not even be them. They have remember they had like cousins and brothers and all that. They had hyena cousins. That's yeah. one of the things that gets established. If you look later. at some of the original concept work back when they were playing with different levels, and I think we've seen this Looney Tune before. All oh, right, rabbit. There's that short little yeah. Oh uh, yeah. You know, guy. There they drew they drew smartass as the, a very small weasel, and then there's the other six are very big looking. Mm-hmm. And when you see them drawn like that, they all look pretty much like they do in Mr. Toad. Yeah. But then eventually they went down to five, and then they're a little bit more even height, and they just look very very different it's stylistic true. wise. You know, they definitely all have just dis- are distinct characters. I'm kind of glad they went with five. I almost feel like their seven would be a crowd yeah. a little bit. Although I do like the idea. I do like the idea it, of like a twisted cool set of dwarves. So then they introduce uh, a little bit of plot, like who is oh. this guy, you know, well, and then they explain who the judge was. He spread, spread simoleons around. He, he's he's the judge of Toontown. And, he and because this is a, a human to tune affair, he's getting involved. Mm-hmm. And it's like, how do you do it? He bought, like, where do you get the money? That's actually never said. No, we know no, where we he know, gets we the money. Well, 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 later we do. We know where he gets well, the money. Well, let's discuss that when we uh, we'll okay. get to that soon, right. I'll tell to, you. Because, yeah, remind me. Um, but this is the horrifying part. This is, oh... They find, yeah, <laughs> the dip. dip. Now, yes, I know for you chemists that are why I just assume everybody in the world listens to this. Yeah, uh, they do. They have to. So, chemists, so for those, chemists. I know for those of you chemists, yes, plumbers, we, we know. Well, I know that uh, turpentine. If, if it helps, I know a f- uh, I know a physicist who listens to this. <laughs> oh, good. There you go. So, we, yes, yes, we know that uh, turpentine uh, and benzene and uh, acetone. acetone tend to be clear. We know yeah. that, but it looks cool when yeah. they make it how they look. Like green and... <laughs> a hissing acidic substance, you know. And also, what did we hear Bob Zemeckis talk about earlier? They said, Hor- I-, I don't know if they were joking about this, I heard him say it once, or if it was actually originally in the script. When he dips that shoe, they were saying, it's a good thing we didn't have its partner watching it die. Oh! <laughs> oh my gosh, that would have been... Made it work because we've established that there are there are two. Yeah, obviously, every, you know. Yeah, so we're the, it's not watching his partner like oh get dipped, you know. Yeah, and then also I feel really bad because me being colorblind, a didn't know that the dip was green. B, I didn't realize. Oh, I didn't know you're colorblind. I am, both of us are. Yeah, we are. Wait, you're both colorblind? Yes, it's a genetic thing. <laughs> oh wow. Uh, his dad's colorblind. Oh, uh, cool. David's dad's colorblind. Yeah. Uh, He's not. I'm not. No. Like, well, if you if, if, get if you, your mother's father, if you know, <laughs> if uh, let's say is if if you are a female and your dad is colorblind, you have a chance of passing it on to your male son. Okay. That's how it's passed. Oh, okay. So, yeah. You don't really normally get it from your dad if you're the mm-hmm. boy. So my brother and I got it from our grandfather, our mom's dad. Oh, I'm sorry. That's okay. It's okay. But I didn't know until listening to some commentary about it that, well, I found that the dip so, was green. Uh, would, like, would that be your red-green? Red-green. Yeah. So yeah. I didn't realize that the dip was green. I just thought it was this weird oily brown. And then when he pulls his hand out, I didn't notice that there was red paint dripping off oh, of it. Oh, yeah. Never knew it was red. Never knew it was red. Just thought it was more of the sick brown. Not until today. Like 30 years later. 
later, hey, by the way, that's red. Oh, yeah. Yeah, oh, so yeah no, no, no. It's <laughs> how horrifying does that look to you? It's, it's, oh, it's, it's no, bloody. It's, it looks it's like bloody. blood. It's we know it's not blood because it was a red shoe that got put in there. It's, but still, still. it's, it's still a bright red. Like, uh, as a kid, you, you're watching, like, oh, my gosh, that looks like blood. But, but I mean, that's the idea. You you know it's paint, but you also have the causation that this a murder has just, a, a, a death, an execution has just taken place. They're not kid gloves, Mr. Valiant. <laughs> you know, <laughs> even when he, when he twists his fingers, you know. Ah, uh, so good. Cut to when they go back to his uh, office and we see the hallway and baby Herman's back. Yeah. yeah. And is this the first thing we see him with a cigar? Yes. Yeah, because I don't know that we, we didn't see him he with a cigar He didn't have one yet. before that. You know, and, and all we see is a human woman leaning over a pram, you know. And she still has with a, a liar. With a lighter. You know, but then, and then Eddie, oh, hey, hey, wait a minute, wait a minute, you know, pushes around again. What do we know about Eddie. He cares. He cares. Yeah. You know, he cares. And then he sees it's baby Herman and says, oh, okay. And now we have our first person saying that the rabbit didn't do it. Yeah. Yeah. Because he said... Uh, Despite what it seemed like on set, Herman doesn't want anything bad to happen to his, his co-star. Yeah, he his, even said that his, he's his best friend. Like, they're actually best friends. Yeah, because they work together. They've, yeah, yeah, they've worked... They, they, I mean, all we see posters of all the other cartoons, and it's always baby Herman and Roger Rabbit. It's they're Laurel the and Hardy. You they're know? the duo. Yeah, kind of, kind of like Twee and Sylvester, and uh, I'm going uh, Tom and Jerry. It's the baby Herman, Roger Rabbit. Right. Uh, with this, uh, it's finally re- it's revealed here that um, Marvin Acme had in his will that baby Herman, or not baby Herman. Uh, sorry, it had in his will that if he pa- when he dies. The tunes would have ownership of Toontown. Back to the civil rights subplot here. Yeah. I think, I think that Marvin Acme had to do what he had to do. Like, obviously, tunes aren't allowed to own Toontown, but he's a, he's trying his best with what he's got. But obviously, humans would only recognize maybe with a human owned it. Mm-hmm. But if he passed, you know, that goes to them. So I, I feel, even though we have that thing, like, how sad is it that a, a human owns Toontown? Yeah. But this, I think... In as much as he can, Marvin Acme was still trying to do right, yeah. even if he's got moral failings as a person, like, you know, playing patty cake with another rabbit's wife, you know? So, mm-hmm. and <laughs> another rabbit's uh, this is This is real, folks. Yeah. And, I'll, and, and I, I feel like my contribution is, what do we know about Eddie? But I love Eddie. Um, we already talked about how his button got pressed with the whole, oh, I've got it. Little Bo Peep lost her sheep, and now you're going to find her. You know, he's talking about working, and that's the thing that made him kick the chair out and stuff the egg in, you know, the guy's in Angela's face, mouth, you know? yeah. And what does baby Herman tell him here in the hallway? I could pay you. And that's another, It's a, we, we've established that that's a button for him. Yeah. You know? uh-huh. And then he says, you know, save your money for a pair of elevator shoes, pushes him down the hallway, runs into his presumed girlfriend, you know. <laughs> whatever the heck she is. Loses his stogie. He starts crying about it. <laughs> Which is great, because then we talk about what are the rules of tunes, you know. And even though he says, you know, the problem is I've got a 50-year-old lust And a three-year-old dinky. Yeah, I mean, obviously it's... <laughs> it got away with it in that movie. But this obviously line. it's built into him to still be a baby, because when yeah. he loses his cigar... <laughs> He cries. And it's, I'm so glad that you remembered the bit about that's where we hear about the will, because right after that, we get our first real MacGuffin. Uh-huh. Uh, I don't know how often you guys talk about that. Oh, no, no, no. We we talked we talked about that quite a bit. The MacGuffin, the, the will, because it, and it's all it's all unintentional. Eddie takes a drink, puts mm-hmm. the glass down, and then the glass is on the, is on, um, the picture where you can see in uh, Acme's pocket is the last will and testament, which you think... 
that's a little, we were even said at the time, like, that's a little weird. Why would he even just carry his will around with him? But they established later in the story there was a reason he was carrying the will around with exactly. him. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And, and it's great. And I love that he finds it accidentally because of his drinking. So it's a thing that's already established with it's him. It's so tight. Very, very seamless. Mm. And so what does he do? I noticed this earlier. We were watching it. He pulls up on that drawer, and his detective bag is full of all the right tools. Uh-huh. We, know, we know that Eddie is a good detective. Yes. Even if he's in his drunken stupor right now, he pulls out this great looking magnifying glass and goes to his own pictures that he took that yes. Rogers already looked through and then it makes us think wait we've already seen this photo but we were too busy looking at the patty cake section of it and there it is there's the yep. will and he decides eh forget it and it's- he just takes a nap because he's still an alcoholic who <laughs> I can deal with this later pulls his folding bed down you can actually so he this is the part where he catches Roger but when he's sitting down you can see like this like body moving under the sheet yeah there's yes. this, this lump you know <laughs> and then turn over you know um and that whole scene is just littered with technical wizardry. Yeah, this the is, gags of making Roger is, interact with the environment. This is the animator showing off, like, look what we can do. Guys. Right. They were talking about how they gave uh, him bungee cords to actually pull, you know? And yeah. if you look how much, like, Bob Hoskins has actually extended mm-hmm. toward the ground, going into one drawer, coming out the other drawer, uh, f- paper is flying out of it. And also, we learned about something earlier today that was a bit of a blooper that stayed in <laughs> the, uh, the what, 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 which part? When the weasels come up. When the weasels come up with, uh, with, the, with their car, and they looks outside. Oh, yes, that's right, yeah, okay, so I, I've seen it a million times, the weasels come up. And they hit the car in front of them, you know, as they as they stopped the car. Yeah. That was unintentional. They had no plan on hitting the car in front of them. <laughs> wow. That was an accident. But that's, <laughs> well, that's actually really fitting. Yeah. I'm like, I, what? I never I, questioned it I because... I believed it because I was like, okay, they're in a rush. You know, they just go in there, they hit the other car. They and, get and they're villains. They don't care. <laughs> and it's, exactly. and it's, car, it's cartoons driving a real car. Yeah. So, of course they would crash. They've already shown to be yeah. reckless drivers. Move it. Watch them move it. Oh, you know? man. Watching them, like, scamper across the street was is great. It's hilarious. Could you imagine while filming that, it's like it hits the car and they're like, oh, oh, crap, oh, crap. And then they're like, wait. We can work with this. <laughs> it's it's a, the Toon Patrol! It's a great game of cat and mouse because he has to hide him inside that, you know... Uh, he, he puts him underwater and pretends to be washing his... Because by that point, they're handcuffed oh, together. Oh, yeah! He, they're they're handcuffed together because Roger Ro- did a gag. Roger, Roger had to do a gag see, after he walked into the closet because uh, Eddie wasn't going to help him. I, again, I think uh, Dolores later on, who says it perfectly... Is he always this silly, or on days he's wanted for murder? Yeah. Because <laughs> he keeps up his silly persona. Another important thing that gets established, uh, the reason he's there is because he wanted to get Eddie's help, because he knows Eddie has helped tunes before. Oh, yeah. He's he, got the, he's got the, he, he's so like, he's compl- I went here, and I went here, and I did all this, and, it, and somehow you all, you find out that he goes to the Ink and Paint Club to find Jessica. She wasn't there. And so he, so he wrote her a nice love letter one. on a nice blank piece of paper. With lipstick, no With less. With lipstick, no less. And, um... Small plant. We're just like, oh, okay, he wrote her a letter. Yeah. That's all, that's yeah, all that is and, and, that and it keeps coming. that letter keeps coming up throughout the story. I, I love but. the fact they're like, does anybody know that you're here? And he's like, well, I've asked the baker, this person, this person, nobody knew where you are. But, but the, the guy li- at the no, liquor no, 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 store. No. The liquor store guy. He, he knew. knew. You know, oh. yeah, so obviously a ton of people know, you know. Yeah, the whole town knows now. Yeah, I, 
But I mean, I just—it's just important to establish. I mean, everybody's seen this movie; they know. But I'm, since we're following the, since we're trying to demonstrate how tight the logic is of this movie, mm-hmm. uh, that the, the piece of paper is brought up and mentioned, and it's important. And again, like a lot of things, you think it's just a weird gag, but it's there. They—they they put enough emphasis. Yeah, on Yeah, you're like plot, plants. Okay, you're like okay, that's what it is. Cause that's, a, that's a great plan, is because we don't think anything of it. But it comes back in a great way later. It's just a little yep. seed that was planted to us. Yeah. And what another fun little thing too that the second. He uh, puts the soap into Smartass's mouth, and he flies back, and they all start laughing. We're given a really big piece of information, whether we know it or not. Yeah, One of these days, you're gonna, gonna die, die laughing. Yeah, stop that laughing, you know. And so after that, they leave. You know, they make their way back to the bar. <laughs> he's hiding him in his coat, and I, I love this. He's pushing him down. So, Eddie, is that a rabbit in your pocket, or are you just happy you to see really, me? <laughs> which is one of Robert Zemeckis' favorite lines. Yeah. <laughs> he said that, that, cause I love that line, Such too. a noir line, such oh, a detective yeah. line, but it's absolutely honest to the what's ever happening. Right. You know what's a really little detail I like about this movie that uh, sticks out to me? Um, is when he goes to sit down in the chair opposite, and he's like, get out of that chair! That's my brother's chair. And, mm. and when Roger pulls his hand away, his finger, like, there's the imprints in his in the dust of Roger's fingers on on the yes. chair. It's a yes. little detail, but it goes a long way. That's what we were talking about, how much dust had accumulated, because also, when he uh, says, don't let him find me, you're my only hope, and he finally lands him on the table, everything sort of... Like yeah. gets out of the way because his feet are so big. I also noticed there's a little there's a little statuette of Betty Boop on their desk. We yes, noticed that today yeah. too. I don't you know so obviously yeah uh, they had a, a really good rapport with Betty you know As really a, good yeah, yeah that she probably gave them some memento some little token. yeah yeah have a little memento of me. <laughs> yep. Um, but yeah, they go over to the, they go back to the bar, they go to the terminal. And, and this is the first time we see the room, the, the r- hidden room, It's the right? rut gut room, yeah. Uh, that's when we see the bump. That's the when room. Bump the Lamp comes well, in. Well, Bump the Lamp comes in, but not only that, my favorite, this is my favorite comedy gag in like any Disney film, is when uh, they open, there's like this opening where... Um, it's a spy hole, right? It's a spy hole. And... Roger just jumps to him. He's like, gee, Eddie, this will be a great place to hide. And his eyes just point out and knocks over the beer bottle. <laughs> it's just such a great gag. And then the guy just looks down. I'm like, that's so simple, but it's so funny. Like, see him pull him away, and then you see Dolores close the plug, you know. Yeah. And she establishes, too, that it was um, it was used... You know, probably before she even moved in, right? You know, we established that she and we established she owns the bar, right? Yes. Okay. Yeah. 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 You know that. Well, that, no, but the, later on, she's like, uh, I should, I, because she leaves it. Remember? Or she, she kind of doesn't she say she loses her job or something? No, like she didn't say that. I don't remember that bit. I don't think. Anyway, um, oh, okay. and I think that's one of those things that, as a writer, you could, uh, for all of you writers listening, <laughs> you could overcomplicate a story and get into a lot of those details, but if they're not so important to your story, we're, the only reason we're getting into it now is because we're all being so hyper-analytical. We're looking at all the nuances of this, and that's why this is going to be an extra-long episode of Animusings. Yay! Yay! So, um, after uh, he finally gets it, a no, not at any time, only when it was funny. Oh, yeah, it's because <laughs> you got Eddie trying to... So oh, yeah. Off. I, this is one of my favorite, like, subtle bits of acting from Hoskins is when he realizes that he could slip his hand out and he just stops and he slowly looks up at Roger and just the look on his face is pure venom. And, I, and you gotta remember, 
He's interacting with a character that in real life isn't there. Yeah. And, but you believe that he's really looking hard into into Roger's eyes at this moment with this just absolute frustration. And I just love that, that Hoskins is able to do his eyeline so well in that part mm-hmm. when interacting mm-hmm. with a presence that was added in post. And where are you going back to the office? I don't know if back to the office was purely ADR'd or if he was going back to the office because that's where our deleted scene is. Yeah, there's oh. a kind of horrifying deleted scene where the... the and I'm glad they cut it out because it is kind of horrifying... Where the weasels catch him and then they paint a pig's head on him and he's trying to get it off but he can't. And how he gets it off is he takes a shower and uses acetone to wash it off. And then you can see like turpentine. And then you see the like like some of the to like the like the pig tune goop fall to the shower and go down the drain and I'm like that's and the eye sort of goes into the drain. It's creepy. Now, yeah. The one thing is, they were trying to get rid of it because it was actually the first completed scene that they did that had the animation in it. Oh, wow. And now, again, story structure, for those of you who write out there, um, there is a thing that happens when they are inside Jessica's changing room and the judge is also there, mm-hmm. you know, and there's a point where he says, there is no will, I would have known about it. Uh, but then it was, and then that's where Eddie lets him know that there is a will. So I suppose you could argue story-wise it's kind of interesting to know that there was a point in the story where the judge doesn't know that there is a will that is in existence. Mm-hmm. But also, the cool thing about them cutting it away is it, we didn't need to know that he didn't not know. Yeah, it's, like, not, a, it's not integral. And also, know? we just see the weasels take Eddie away into the tunnel of Toontown. They don't show us Toontown, but they pan up. And we see the sun. We see Toontown's... Actually, the moon. We see the moon again. Yeah. We actually, and it, it is a cute gag. We see that witch. You know the witch from the... Is it the Looney Tune witch? Who's oh, always, is it Witch Hazel? Witch Hazel, yeah. She's always losing her bobby pins. You know, ah! You know. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's witches. We see her fly around. We see the cloud electrocute her. We see the moon take a nap. But then we see the... You know, the little screen fly up and then the sun's back. And then that's when it cuts to them kicking Eddie out. You know, and then they've got the pig face on them, and then the weasels still have wet paintbrushes in their hand. And the reason I'm also glad it was gone is because it gives more weight to when we see that tunnel later. Oh, yeah. Exactly. Like, you know? it's good. To, yeah. That, that beginning where you see only a little bit of Toontown, it's just that perfect hint where later on it's like, oh, wow. So, it's Toontown, man. So, hey, it works for a good cut back to the office, you know, and then they sit down and then they go and we see... Jessica Rabbit enter in and uh, he's just got... Eddie's just got in the shower and Jessica's trying to explain that she was hired to take those pictures that... Um, it's kind of... This is... A, like she herself was a plant. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, <laughs> plant! Uh, that uh, Acme asked her, told her that uh, she has to pose for those pictures if he... And if or Maroon. She, Maroon told Maroon, her. Maroon. Sorry, not Mar- Acme. Maroon told her to pose for those pictures because if she didn't, uh, uh, Roger would never work in this town again. And she would do anything for her husband. She anything. would. Uh, this is a part where I think uh, is a kind of that hint to like the old noir films where, like, the dame comes in, she's like, name your price, uh, the breathless, breathless moon, mm-hmm. and, oh, kind of reference that a little bit. 
But this is also the famous line, I'm not bad, I'm just drawn that way. Mm-hmm. Which, yes. which crowns, I'm, I'm glad we saved it for this point of the conversation, because it crowns off what have we been learning about tunes. You might be drawn as a baby, and you might be older in your head, but you'll still act like a baby. Roger yeah. may be this rabbit, and he may be feeling hurtful things, but he's always going to be silly, no yeah. matter what. There's so much more truth to her line, I'm not bad, I'm just drawn that way. However you are drawn dictates so much of how you're going to act as a cartoon. Yeah. You know, and so she's not trying to be uh, that alluring and elusive. It's just how she is. Yeah. Yeah. Truthfully, you know. And then in walks... (laughs) Dolores. Dolores. Dolores, Which she's changed, by the way. Yeah, which Which makes sense. Some some time has passed. Well, yeah. Well, well, remember he says, "Where are you going?" Back to the office. So, well, because he asked her to go check out the uh, probate and see who is put in the highest bid for uh, Toontown. And realistically, in the script, a day has passed, and she's had more time to do that. Right. But because we took that scene away, and we're thinking it happened pretty quickly. Again, it's not crucial. We didn't think anything of it, but it is kind of cool to know in the back of your head. Oh. She's changed. This is supposed to be the next day. Yeah. You know? Right, right. You know, and then and then she fa- tells them when they run out to the street, you know, she stopped by. It's not uh, maroon. It's clover leaf that's put in the highest bid. Oh, mm. wait. This is, and then we go back to that sign that we saw going up in the beginning. We're like, first... First he, the red car. Now Toontown. Now they want Toontown. He says, I don't get it. So, okay, we have more pieces at play, but we still don't know who they are. Yeah, Mar- the, at this point, Maroon hasn't, the Maroon part hasn't been covered yet either. Mm-hmm. This is when they hear the, the the music from the bar. It's Merry-Go-Round Broke Down. Which is? The Merry Melodies theme. The Rabbit. Get the judge. <laughs> Which also, oh, uh-oh, because now we know it's not just him messing messing up and being public. We know that the weasels know where he is. Yeah. You know, and yeah. shortly he does catch up because he catches back up to them. And also he tells us right before the judge shows up, you know. Tunes um, are supposed to make people laugh. Yeah. And he says, he would rat you out in a minute. No, not him. Why? Because you made him laugh. That's right. And this is one of my favorite lines because uh, I resonate with it in sort of a mantra. Sometimes uh, a, a laugh is a very powerful thing. Sometimes it's the only weapon we have. Aww. And I think you can turn that into a whole other discussion. There's so much depth to this. There is. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and also, when Judge finally shows up right after that, I'm looking for a murderer. They talked about how seedy they made him. He takes a dwarf. He takes a little person and makes him even shorter. Yeah. yeah he takes me. a sleeve <laughs> off of an amputee, off of a veteran. Oh, yeah. I pointed this out to Dave. I'm like, how, how scummy I didn't realize is that? You, I, I, to be fair, I didn't realize he was an amputee until I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> well, I didn't either when I was a kid, but then as I grew up later and I learned how they would fold up the sleeves, you know, yeah. and still wear their uniform, yeah. you know, uses that to cross off the French word and then just leave special dip when he moves off to the left. Oh. Oh. <laughs> Jesse's right now is cringing. Uh, what a way to I build that see tension. And then, and then it, hey, I've seen the rabbit, and oh no, Betty was right. He's, he's like, gonna he's going to talk. Oh no. That and asshole. And again, <laughs> <laughs> when I was younger, did not know who this was, but as I grew older, it became so much funnier. Say hello, Harvey. So Harvey, <laughs> if that's a reference to... Well, here's the thing. Um, Harvey came. The movie Harvey came out in 1950, but they did have a stage play. It was play. 
I actually drew for uh, the portraits for that play, and that's a whole other colorblind story about how I drew them green <laughs> instead of, you know, but but yes, Harvey was a play. It's so, a fun play. Yeah, the, the Harvey is a, basically a man claims that he sees a six-foot rabbit, um, and that rabbit is invisible, so. Oh! So oh, you've never heard of this? No, that's who Harvey is. Har Harvey's a puka. <laughs> That's his. Yeah. yeah. Jimmy Stewart joining us today, ladies and gentlemen. Wow, you Jimmy. Know. Jimmy, thank you for joining us. And it's great too because then everyone starts laughing, and then what does Roger say? I told you so. And they're like, actually, oh, shoot. I actually do kind of like how the judge, uh, kind of he, he first you see him just kind of staring, and then he does he almost does a little he cracks a smile of himself. He's like. Like, hey, grin. And then, and then we think we're off the hook. And this is what I love about reversals. You know, that's a script term that we use all the time. Because it was going bad, it was going bad. But all of a sudden he says, here you are, Harvey. Oh, then we go above the positive bar. But then all of a sudden we hear the record scratch. Yeah. And it drops right back down. He sees it. He smells it. This is the part I was talking about where he turns with his full whole body and goes, he's here. <laughs> Tosses it. And then, second reminder of... It, you, it, you idiots! One of these days, you'll, don't you remember what happened last time? You know, that whole thing. You don't then, stop that laughing, you'll end up dead like your idiot, idiot hyena, hyena cousins. cousins. I mm. do like, so, and the next, this is actually a cool thing to give to, like, uh, about tunes. Like, this small little aspect, it adds a little bit to it, the lore. So, he's, to lure him out, he does um, the... The shave uh, and the haircut. The shave and the haircut, and that no tune can resist a shave and a haircut. And More tune lore getting established. I like this. I like that this is something tunes cannot resist. That's funny because he says that, and you're like, "Really?" And then, and then, he, and Eddie's watching through those and people. Even, even he's, Eddie's like, "What?" You know, and he, and it's funny. He says it the whole time, and he turns around. I don't know who's more tuning or you or Doom, but then he see, we see Roger. Right. <laughs> oh no, it's true, and and he pulls him out. And, they, and, and and when he finally gets him out there and he's got him by the neck and he's going to dip him, he says, you know, hey, why don't we give him one more drink? And this is great because this is those plants. All of the plants wait, are... Wait, wait, wait. Before we get... So Roger like shows himself by bursting out of the wall. Two bits! And then, oh, and, then gets, and then gets caught by the judge. And right then and there, it's like, bring in the dip. Let's kill him right here in the bar. And so... Um, <laughs> Yeah. What we're looking at there is, <laughs> he says, you know, poor drink, Dolores. What are you laughing at? This is funny, the whole thing. <laughs> so then we say, he, Eddie tells Dolores, you know, poor drink, and she's like, oh, maybe you like some peanuts to go with it. Pour the drink, because this is the plant. Coming yeah, back. Yep, we did, yep, yep. We, did, off. we know what's going to happen. This we're like, oh, okay. And it's wonderful, because, again, talking about... Oh, and he knows something about us about tunes, because this is a great reference to the duck season, rabbit season. Yeah, we were talking about how you, you established earlier that Eddie is silly and he has a sense of humor. I do, I don't, I don't, I don't. You don't, I do, you don't, I do. Listen, if I say I do, that means I do. Gulp! Game, you know, knows how to work with tunes, knows how the games that he may not like it, not at this point anymore, but he knows how to work with tunes. Mm -hmm. And then big little mini bar brawl and gets him out of there. Can I say how good this fight scene is too? I mean, oh, yeah. especially like when when he's having the fight with with Wise Ass. And Wise Ass actually manages to like, take him down. They're smart ass. Uh, smart they're, ass. they're showing, like, I don't know what's going on, but they're showing, like, clearly there's, like, wind blowing, and you have Bob Hoskins fighting nothing, basically. <laughs> and uh, as soon as he gets done with his, with his Sweeney Todd whistle, 
you know, and he catches him. Sweet. <laughs> it's it's a factory whistle. I know. You know, when he catches him, kicks over the dip. Now we see Judge Doom back away from that pretty quickly, but everybody we, else but does. Everybody too. Everybody else, else does, does too. But they very deliberately point the camera at the judge's feet. Yeah, you yeah. know, and then we see him look up. Hint, real, hint, 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 you know, hint, hint, hint. Run out there, and uh, interesting because we were more than halfway through the movie. I want to say at this point, but we introduce a new character a little late in the game, which is always a risky thing to it do. It is, but <laughs> this it can work. Mm-hmm. Very work. We're talking you know. about Benny. Benny, Benny the cab, because we get into the weasel's car, and then we hear, like, you know, there's no key, but then he says, oh, it's Benny, and then they get into... <laughs> there's no key. Like, what so, were they thinking they were going to get well, a key? Well, here's, here's the interesting part. People would say, like, oh, this is an anachronism, because that whole yellow cab with the stripes didn't become popular until the 60s. It's like, again, these are tunes. This could have been influenced. This could have influenced... And if you look at the concept work, there are three different designs of Benny before they got to the Benny that we know. The first one is a very Cruella DeVille looking vehicle that is like super, super long. Yeah. Oh, fenders. And, and that uh. might be a little bit more accurate to some type of cabbie, you know. But then there's another one that they drew, which is a little bit more round, that gets a little bit more tune out of it, you know. That just like, oh, okay, I can see that. But the last design that they did is the Benny that we know, but he was black. He actually oh. was drawn originally dark before they decided to make it, and I don't know that anybody who would look at that car would know that he's a cab. And yes, you're right. Even though it didn't come, that color scheme didn't come by until later. But it doesn't matter. For all we know, he could have origin, he could have uh, been born that way, and then uh, they, uh, and then later on, cabs decided, oh, that's a great way to make a cat. What makes a cab look like, and decide to. From then on. Help distinguish the cab. Yeah, yeah, so technically four iterations of design before they finally decided to go with the third one and then redesign the paint scheme because he was just going to be a dark vehicle. Yeah. But but I... when you see those concept sketches and see how well they stretch that last vehicle, mm-hmm. it's a, no wonder why they went through with that design. And hey, it ended up being the, the buggy that you ride in. Exactly. You know, cool. for the cartoon spin. Yeah. And what a yeah. great chase scene. We were talking about that. Oh, uh, yeah, that car chase scene. That alleyway being a classic cartoon trope because the alleyway isn't that long. No. But it is also half a mile long. It's also as long as it yeah. needs to be for the gag. Exactly. Uh, pull the lever. Which one? Which one? <clears throat> Which one? This lever, stupid. <laughs> you know? I'm gonna ram him. Uh, <laughs> I'm gonna ram him. <laughs> Which is a callback to... Uh, Back to the Future. Uh, oh! I'm gonna ram him. Oh, my God. Zemeckis. <laughs> really? Zemeckis getting all his people in. I'm gonna ram him. Even though I think the weasels delivered it a little more iconically. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's the weasels cool. wore it better. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And then they're driving for his wheels go up, or how? I don't even know. Yeah, they do that. They, are. they extend they let these little cranks, uh, put them up there. They talked about how crazy it was to have this camera that was so high because they were actually headed toward one of those bridges in Pasadena for that shot. Yeah. Uh-huh. The camera is up as high as we think it is, you yeah. know? <laughs> and they were saying how much of a hassle it was just to close down that one bridge. Hey, just Roger, to get what that do you get that one shot? Hey, Roger, what do you call the middle of song. Gee, I don't know, a bridge! You know, because that's a big artery in Pasadena, that particular road. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. And so they got it closed down just long enough. And and going forward to the, the theater, they said they searched the Disney catalog to try and find as zany of a cartoon as they could. This is the one anachronism 
that I consider them probably the most legitimate. Everything else can be explained. But this this one uh, is the goofy cartoon where he does the exercises. Mm-hmm. And it is, it is very zany. It's very violent. Um, but it came out in 1950. But uh, you, I thought it was 49, actually. Uh, I thought I read it was 1950. Was it 50? Regardless, it Either comes way, out after. It does come yeah, out. It oh, doesn't yeah. matter. It comes out afterwards. But you know what? Let's put it this way. This is set in an alternate version where toons and humans live together. Mm-hmm. So for all we know, maybe they made it earlier in this version of the world. True. Whatever. It's possible. Goofy's a, work, Goofy's, Goofy's a working man. There's a ton of movies He's that we know, uh, if we did our research on it, that have been filmed but not released until two years after they were filmed. True. Kind of a thing, mm-hmm. too, as well. Not for a wide release or a pushback for another movie that was also getting released. So uh-huh. the nice thing that we know is we're looking at all of the work that he's doing and if we've already seen Roger do this incredible cartoon in the beginning of this film and he's saying what timing, what finesse, what a genius, you know. Mm-hmm. We we know that he obviously has people that he still idolizes as a fellow performer. Mm-hmm. And Goofy of the Fab Five is probably the most zany of them all. It gets into yeah. the most physical comedy. Goofy's my favorite of the, of the it's, Fab he's Five, He's a lot of honestly. favorites. And well, I lose that cartoon is one. Because of the how-to too. cartoons. Those are my one favorite. One and two, stretch. Dun, 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 dun. Yeah, I remember that one very vividly. You know, uh, the Mr. Driving, Mr. Dad, you know, all of those cartoons. Uh, Mr. Walker has become Mr. Wheeler, a motorist. Going uh, going back to also Spielberg's ideas and things he requested, he told them, I don't care if you have to stop the entire movie, there needs to be a scene with just Eddie and Roger. And that scene yeah. uh, became the scene where they're sitting down and he's telling him about his brother. That's good. This is when it gets revealed. Um... A tune killed my brother. And have you noticed he immediately reaches for his, uh, uh, that, the bottle of liquor out of his coat pocket as soon as he starts talking about his brother? Wow. He doesn't ever take a drink from it, but it's like a crutch. Mm hmm. You know and what I really... Uh, Roger's reaction here is so genuine. A tune? No. Yeah, he doesn't know, yeah. Cause <laughs> it we've, breaks my heart. We've heard Dolores say it earlier, but this is the first time that Eddie admits it. And yeah. First time for the character, too. And then he goes... He gives us the teleplay. Yeah. He goes through every little bit, you know, how he broke his arm because he dropped a piano on him and his brother, you know. And he got by with a broken arm, but his brother lost his life, yeah. you know. And then he tells us about this cartoon... With uh, bloodshot red eyes and a screechy high voice. It's important to note, though, the reason they were going after this tune was because he had robbed the first bank of Toontown and gotten away with a zillion simoleons. Mm-hmm. So little plant oh, there. Here we go. That's Again, a lot of money. Oh, that makes... Okay. Mm-hmm. A zillion okay. simoleons. okay. Okay. Moving yeah, yeah. forward, only because we don't... Uh, and again, something I never knew about, um, because this scene is so heavy. It is so heavy, and then as soon as he's like, Brian, I don't hate you, you know, even sorry about all the time he ate your ears, then Dolores comes in. And then Dolores is sitting down, and she has a line, and then... It, there's, there's well, just, it, yeah, it's important as, as Dolores is coming in. Oh, is it another cartoon? Oh, oh it's the, the news. news. I, I hate, hate the news. news. She sits down with him, and then he's like, you know, sorry, it took me a while to get here. I I had to shake the weasels. Yeah, now, it, there now, there is this kind of sweet moment. It's like you have already known they're a romantic couple, um, but it's kind of shows like you know, they, it's like they still love each other um, even through all this. Robert Zemeckis talked about how he thought it was he thought that line was hilarious. 
All I had to do was shake the weasels. And he said when he saw a test screening and nobody laughed, he was super surprised. Really? Why? It's that kind of a joke. Oh, uh, Again, oh. None of, I, I, I didn't know that before today when I heard that. Actually, neither did I. No, I didn't either. Because it's such a serious moment. Yeah. You know? And, and, and obviously nobody else in the theater thought that, and none of us have, because it's such a moment of like, you know, and, and she's also playing it very straight. Too. Oh, yeah. You know, also, I want to, my hat goes off to the costume and makeup department and the actress, because I feel like a lot of us have a very pin-up idea of what Hollywood looked like in the 40s, but when I see Dolores, she's one of the uh, few people that I say, you look like how that period looked. Oh, yeah. You yep. know, this is yep. what real people looked like in 1947. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Absolutely beautiful. And then they're about to leave. Right? And that's Let's... when we realize, it, it's revealed on the news that... Um, R. Cameroon is selling his to Cloverleaf. Aha. Uh -huh. And he's like, that's the connection. And that boom. Th cut. boom cuts to them going over. And also a technical thing, right when he gets out and says, me scared. We remember when Roger goes up against the wall and stretches himself oh, out? Oh, yeah, it's because uh, uh, Bob Hoskins looked up a little too high for how tall Roger would be. Yeah. Mm -hmm. that was So that was to handle a... Technical error. Yeah, that error. basically. Okay. And again, it was a creative choice. On and that. great cool. and great interrogation detective noir scene, you know, with R.K. Maroon. Oh yeah. We haven't seen since the beginning, have we? No, we haven't seen no. Maroon for a while, have and we? He looks sweaty and he looks disheveled. He's got a little golden gun, little tiny little golden gun. Yeah, yeah. which which Eddie knocks out the of his man hands. with the golden gun. <laughs> Eddie, Eddie, Eddie appears by the turning mm -hmm. wall. It's all start plan. We're like, okay, mm -hmm. great. <laughs> also, all of the posters that we saw on the wall earlier, it was Spielberg's, again, one of his things that he said, this needs to happen. It was his idea that after the gun appears in the window, to have it match up with the poster. For the pistol pack and possum. Yes, oh. yes. Ah. It was Spielberg's idea, like, that shot needs to happen. You know? That was a good shot. Mm -hmm. I love that. I, I, I don't, for some reason, for me, that, that scene of that, that long-nosed that long pistol coming through the blinds, but you're never seeing who, who's holding it. Mm. It's very iconic to me. Because then we see it's, we're meant to think that it's Jessica. Jessica, yeah. yeah. So, this is important because, because Mar Maroon lays out what happened, finally, mm -hmm. as he's being, as he's, as uh, Eddie's got his tie in the, um, in the film, in the projection, in the, the projection, in the reel, <laughs> and is trying to pull him into it, and, and, and Maroon lays it all out. He wanted to sell the studio a while ago to Cloverleaf, but Cloverleaf wouldn't because sell unless... Because the studio is going under. Yeah. Again, hint that animation is going downhill. Right. Yeah. He wants to sell the studio, and Cloverleaf was going to buy it, but they wouldn't buy it unless Acme also sold. So he wanted to blackmail Acme so that he could find a way to get Acme to sell his property. That way he could sell his property and make the deal. And the great part of this whodunit mystery is we still do, this is there's two mysteries happening to all this and they're connected. We don't know that they are at this point. Right. We just know okay, what why are people so why is Cloverleaf so interested in all this? We still don't know at yeah, this point. Yeah, it's a big yeah. real estate deal. They want Toontown, they want Acme they want Acme Studio and they want Maroon Cartoons. Yeah. Why? And so they you know, they off RK Maroon and then he goes to follow Jessica, presumably. Presumably. But well, because we the reason we think it's Jessica's earlier on we see Jessica hit Roger with a pan, frying pan, frying pan. and throw him unconscious in the trunk of a car. And, mm. and then when uh, Eddie, when uh, Arkham Maroon gets shot and killed, yeah, we see someone 
like, actually die, like, it's, on screen. <laughs> yeah, he gets shot in the back. It's terrifying. Twice, Oof. you know. Him. Um, and when you see his corpse, he's still he's still strung up in the projection. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and not to make joke of it, but I mean, Zemeckis was talking, and he says, I'm sure a lot of editors would love to do this to their directors. <laughs> Put their tie inside the... <laughs> you know, like... <laughs> squirm. <laughs> um, so then we finally... Uh, we follow that car, and we chase it all the way to the Tunnel of Toontown. And again, with that deleted scene gone... Gives a lot more weight to him looking at that tunnel. And then uh, he decides to take out his cartoon gun that he got from Yosemite Sam. Thanks for getting me out of the who's gal. Mm -hmm. uh, And uh, pretty much all the bullets are Jim Cummings, basically. Oh, no, and then uh, there's also... No, there's one There's Pat Bertram and there's Harry Curry Jr., who he ends up using both of them later in Back to the Future 3. You're right. Yeah. You know, because and our good friend Chris Nebergall, if he's listening, hi. Uh, hi, Chris. Modeled his tiny, his, I was going to say Tenarius, tiny Mayfield voice uh, after uh, Pat, you know. That makes sense. I ain't seen you from nine on to five years. Of course, I can't do it as well as he does, you know. He, yeah, it does sound like Pat Butram. Actually, Pat Butram did a lot of movies, uh, Disney movies, or voiced a lot of Disney movies in the 70s. Was he also the sheriff? He was the, the sheriff of uh, Rottingham. And, uh, <laughs> I, sorry, I had to. In, in the cartoon Robin Hood, um, he was in the... Uh, was in Fox and the Hound mm-hmm. as uh, Chief. Uh, Chief. He was uh, also in the Aristocats. He was in like he was well, in a ton of movies. A ton of movies. A ton of Disney movies. Like during he, he, during the seventies, they were like, "Come, come on by, Pat. We want you here." And so, for those who also didn't see it at the top of the tunnel, the Toontown Tunnel, Felix is there as a comedy tragedy mask. Yeah. yeah. Because they couldn't work out the deal to animate him, but they said he, we can still put him in there. He somehow. makes a couple little. He makes two. That's a. That's a. He makes a cameo at, at Maroon Studios as well because there's a picture of him and R.K. Maroon on Maroon's desk. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah. And detail. also, I found out something. Both of us found out something today about the tunnel. Yes. yes. It's a uh, as soon as he goes into the, well, first of all, I, I found out that they they painted the interior black, which did, really yeah, yeah they I painted did. the inside of the tunnel black. I hadn't noticed that before. I was like, oh, it's really dark in there. <laughs> and then after they go in, and we see that that first person view, you know, from from him driving in the wheel, that's a model. That entire camera shot is a model. Whoa! Inside the tunnel. <laughs> I always thought it was the inside of the tunnel. Yeah. I thought it was a model. I thought it was the Dang. same thing, too. <laughs> nope. That's impressive. Dang. Because we've been through that tunnel at Griffith Park. You yeah. Know? And I've seen, we've also seen that tunnel uh, used similarly in Back to the Future 2. Yes. Mm-hmm. But I kept looking at the, the curve and the straightaway, and I, was, I always thought to myself... Is it a different tunnel that they use? Because I know it doesn't curve like that. And... Uh, before we get into Toontown, by the way, there is one point where he's about to take a drink, but then decides to pour the alcohol out of it <laughs> and shoot the glass. <laughs> we're sorry, we're, we're laughing again because test screening, when, when, when Robert Zemeckis was at a test screening... And he got to that point. There was a lady in the audience. I think she was sitting in front of <laughs> in him. In front of him. And, and she audibly says, Oh, thank God. 
<laughs> like he, he pulls the bottle out and starts pouring it out. There we go. Oh, thank oh, God. Thank God. Uh, <laughs> he's just going to stand and watch this guy drink one more time on screen. <laughs> Shoots a bullet. <laughs> shows like he's done. He, Which, good for him. Uh, again, shows progression in his character. Uh, and uh, then he enters Toontown and... Wow, Toontown... Smile, darn ya, smile. I'm sorry, is is it just me, or is Toontown extremely overwhelming? Yes, that's the idea, yes. And they talked about that, and and, and in fact, the producers were saying, they love that Disney's Toontown obviously took a lot of nods from how they did their Toontown, but they're also glad... That it's that it's not quite everything that they made it out to be because you would go insane if you oh, spent more than ev- a few minutes. Literally there. everything was moving okay. and bouncing and Which doesn't this is the part where it's like, oh yeah, clearly Richard Williams made this because for all those who don't know, if you've ever seen Reggie Ann and Andy's musical adventure, that's a trip. Like you feel like you're on drugs or something while watching that, and then this is like Quite a trip as well. Yeah. Everything's got a face, you know, to it. And I once they get into the city itself, I feel a little more comfortable than out in the countryside because when out in the countryside, everything is bouncing and moving. And I don't know. I feel better in the countryside, yeah, man. At least there's little like baby Mickey's running around and everyone's smiling because when you get to the city, tons of <laughs> you, all of a tons of reused animation, but which is great because you get to you can see sort of spot. For us, spot the reused. Like, you could see off in one corner in that wide shot after Eddie crashes his car and Mr. Toad goes by, you actually see um, the bit from Snow White where Snow White is helping the, the witch into the cabin after she's like, oh, my heart, my poor heart. But they're shuffling into a Toontown building. <laughs> it's the exact same animation. And then the sa- and you actually see the seven doors come out of another building all together in the same order. It's like, we also see the pigs dancing. Yeah, you know, doing in the, one with the accordion, side. you know. And there's a, but there's little red riding hoods with them for some reason. And then I've seen that. And then you see Mr. Toe going, Tell you! Tell you! Again, he, he hasn't had a movie yet. Hasn't had a movie yet, so... He's just living in Toontown at He's this just point. some guy driving around until Crazy some producer toe. came around and said, Hey, you see that guy over there? See, I'm gonna make a movie out of you. Oh, yes, I'm from the Toontown Fire Department. He's, he is on a fire truck. Yeah. And so, and so also, I until I looked at concept art earlier today, I didn't know that Eddie crashes because there is a Acme truck that has accidentally... Dumped all of its stuff it's like onto overused the road. gags or something. Yeah. That's what the side of it says. Yeah. Overused gags. That's so good. And so that's why he crashes. That's why a bowling ball falls out, lands on that poor little tune. Yeah. You know, we see the hotel. You know, uh, and apparently, if if I didn't hear this incorrectly, Richard Williams did the voice of Droopy. He did. He did. Going cool. up here. It's a, it's a darn good droopy voice. That's a really too. good droopy. It's spot on. Oh, darn sure. You want to hear some some deleted, uh, what they didn't use. Uh, originally, before it was a hotel, it was going to be a school for the slow. Droopy's school for the slow. Oh, really? Yes. Mm. And he was going to go into one of the classrooms that said room 101. You know, 101. And there was, yeah. a, there was a room full of nothing but people on dunce chairs. And they were all in a corner. Like so they put a bunch of corners in a room, so it must be like a star or something like that. And he walks in, and Eddie was supposed to be. Any of you, uh, you know, Dodo seen abroad, and Dopey's supposed to turn around on one of the, the <laughs> stools. Stools wearing a dunce cap, and you know, so Aww. 
but I mean, they it's okay. There's there's a you, lot of things. You do see a, a poster with Dopey on it in the background at one point, along with the poster. This is later, but I like this this detail. There's a there's a poster with Dopey, but next to it is a poster of Lampwick from Pinocchio with an exploded cigar in his mouth. <laughs> and it's, it's a cigar advertisement. It's great. <laughs> and then we get up there, you know, to what we're assuming is. Um, yeah, he's able to use his like tune vision to like again, again his tune. You know. He sees he sees her way at the top of the building. And by the way, I, I pointed or, this out to Kayla. Was, uh, Jack- Pretty Jessica. soon was Jessica. I pointed this out to Kayla when because um, it was Richard Williams. Was it Richard Williams or was it Zemeckis that said we were going to cheat that we're going to change the animation things like we need to have as many moving shots as possible with the tunes in them. The light changing. Uh, that was Richard Williams. That was Richard Williams who wanted to do that. So it almost feels like the opposite in Toontown because there's, I mean, stuff moves, but the dynamicness of the shots has changed suddenly. And it's kind of an interest. I know it's like a technical thing, but it's also kind of an interesting contrast. A lot of fluid, mo- a lot of fluid motion and stuff here. A lot of motion here, but it's definitely now it's now it's the tables have turned. You've got this live person in a cartoon world, and suddenly things are a smidge more static because now all the backgrounds are. I'm not. This isn't a criticism. It's just an observation. Notice that also the faces that are embedded throughout Tombstone change to help you establish what mood you should be feeling. Yes. yes. Because when we get up to the level right before we walk into the room on the woman, who we're assuming is Jessica, yeah. suddenly a lot of those faces look scared yes. and look worried. <laughs> yes. You know, on, on the plant vases and whatever they are. <laughs> and, and it's dark in colors all of a sudden, and then it's not her. It's Lena Hyena. By the way, she's a. This was actually a real character before this uh, movie. Like, uh, wasn't she like a design for the ugliest woman? Someone in nineteen, I think nineteen forty six. She was designed to be the ugliest woman, Lena Hyena, and so she's a real character, which is uh, which is news to me. Yeah. So was well, not created for the movie. She was actually a real character before this. Come to Lena. And uh, she chases after him. He runs into the men's restroom, discovers there's... For a good time, called well, Allison Wonderland. <laughs> but discovers there's no floor underneath him. So, of course, like normal tunes, he spas there. He's like, oh, no! And he stands there. And again, the rules of tunes, you know? Yeah. Even if you're a human, now that you're in Toontown, if you look down, you know, then you'll fall. Yes. I love that he falls. His hat stays in place. A couple seconds later, his hands reach up, grab the hat, and then fall, continue falling. It's mm-hmm. like, it's great to see a human in a cartoon world now. And then he's able to with- grab a flag with that Tweety's on. Oh, look! Hi, Tweety. And it's funny because he knows Tweety. Yeah, he clearly knows Tweety. This little little penny went to market. This little penny went home. No. (laughs) He's like pulling each finger off. And then as he's falling, it feels like this fall lasts forever because Toontown. Uh, This is when we get the wonderful scene between Mickey Mouse and Bugs Bunny as they're... Parachuting, uh, yeah, and skydiving, skydiving, and also, and also, how can I forget? <laughs> well, possibly I can forget we're establishing the rules of tunes and tune sounds. When Droopy hits the lever and we go up, Eddie squashes and pancakes to the. By floor, the way, you that's know? a great effect. Yeah, because he, he's and then as soon as he hits stop, then it puts him up to the roof, and then he's stuck there, you know, like a tune would be. Mm-hmm. So again, yes, <laughs> we're assuming that this is a very, very tall. Building that gives us enough space to do all of this, mm-hmm. and um, the stipulation that Warner Brothers said yes, you can use our people, but you have to make sure that Bugs has just as much screen time as Mickey. 
But she does. Yes. She does. They he actually has a hair more, believe it or not. Oh, yeah, because uh, we see him earlier uh, in another... In Maroon Studios after yeah. the cattle call. Exactly. We see him in the white shot. Yeah, mm-hmm. so we see him there. So, yeah, he's there, and it's funny, because then they, they were debating... They said, would Mickey do that? Would Mickey give a spare to somebody and be nefarious? They said, no, but Bugs would. Yeah. But Mickey's totally cool with it. You get get the feeling like these two just do this on the reg. Yeah. (laughs) And like Mickey's just kind of like, Mickey's kind of delighted by Bugs' antics. That's the impression I get. It's okay to not be a dick, but if you have a dick friend, it's... It's okay, you know, you're not going to stop him. You ever wonder if Mickey looks at Bugs and secretly in the back and says, oh, I wish I could be like that guy. Yeah, you know, because that's what it is. That we've established that things are going to be okay in this world. The uh-huh. only thing that can kill a tune is, you know, the dip, which is different from the book, which, again, yes. no spoilers in the book, but still, uh, Mickey, the fact that Mickey's like, oh, poor fella, is, is enough. Yeah, is enu- a stinker. Yeah, it's enough for us to be like, well, maybe he'll be okay, which of course he is because Lena catches him. Yeah. You know, and then another great cartoon gag, you know, after he she kisses him so hard, tumbles down the road, he just tears the, the strip that, on the ground, the divider, you know? Yeah, and then rams it into the wall and she follows it and hits the wall and he says tunes gets him every time and then cut to it's 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 night now no it's night all of a sudden well well, because he goes into an alley where it needs to be night and you know what's you know what's convenient about toontown logic is that it's he's exactly where he needs to be despite having run all over the place like crazy he's exactly where he needs to be back uh back to your little hidden gems of of uh posters yeah there's a great one with porky that says porky pigs all beef sausages (laughs) you know and he's and he's got this like sausage and he's got these forks you know yeah um it's a great shadow gag too you know further establishing like you might be a human but now that you're in toontown even your shadow will talk to you yeah <laughs> That's a good bit, you know. Which which throws us off because it's not just a gag. Because then when we see Jessica with the gun, and he turns around. We see a shadow moving that we think. Oh, that's him! But then we see the cane shadow, and the and also the long, the long, the gun. long gun. Yeah. And then we're like, oh no, it's not him! It's I do, it's I, not I, I do really love how dramatic this is. Valiant, you know, the way she's just standing at the end of this alley. It's like this is such a good noir shot, like the femme fatale. Like they gun. never forget that this is a noir film. Never forget it, and they no. just keep at it. Even in the zany parts. Yeah. And then there's another strange. Okay, weird, weird clue. The fact that Doom backed away from the, you know, dip, but then as soon as she says "behind you," she shoots him. We see the bullet hit. We see him fall. He gets up right afterwards. Because he's a tune. Bullets yeah, so can't he, kill tunes. You'll never stop me. We, well, we Surprise, don't... he's a tune. Yeah. Well, well, now that we've talked about that... Well, people, um, presume, if you've come this far, you've seen the movie. But also, now that, we've, now that we've gotten there, when they gave the script to Christopher Lloyd and he started reading it from the beginning, he said, He's a tune! <laughs> is what he told them. And they said, Chris gets it. Zemeckis <laughs> so always talked about how much he loved working with Christopher Lloyd because he said he always brought something new and different every single day he came to work, no matter nice. what it was. He always had a new idea and something to try and test out. So then we know that Doom's escaped, then we see the gun, we've confirmed, oh, it was Doom. So now, but we still don't know why. What I love is that at this point the subtlety drops away because as he's running down there, it's like, that's right! It was me! You'll never stop me! <laughs> also, great guy with the bullets, you know, which uses them. You know, which way to go? In that no way. way. Let's go. Dumb good. You know, so then we get out. We're trying to say, well, where's Roger? Because now 
He's gone. He chickened out on me. No, he didn't. I hit him on the head with a frying pan and threw him in the trunk. So he wouldn't get hurt. The great thing is, I always hate it... And then he takes Eddie's car. Yes. I always hate it when we um, don't establish uh, lost information between people. Like, we see everything as an audience. Yeah. But we don't get to see everything, you know, being transferred, but they cover it. She's like, "He, he ditched me back to the station. No, he didn't. Oh, now yeah, I know. now he's clued into what we're any, clued in. Any on, other lesser so. movie would let that detail go, and that person would never right. know. And also, I completely forget when Eddie crashes, the 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 car he crashes into is Jessica's car. Oh, we forget yeah, that that's because. Right. By the way, I, I also realized that I think that car actually belongs to his girlfriend. Eddie's the the car Eddie drives because remember. Early on, they're like, "Hey, Mister, don't you have a car?" And you then don't he- got no car. Very good. Yeah, it's not. It's probably not his. It's Dolores's. You it's know, Dolores. because car. she drives to them. Yeah. You know, so that is Dolores's car. So he takes. So we know that Rogers escaped, gets into Eddie's car, and then all of a sudden, <laughs> poor Dolores. I know. Well, she loves him. Yeah. You know? But but also. We know she said he tells her, "You ought to find yourself a good man." But I already have At a good one. man. Exactly. You know, regardless she really of anything, loves him. please you know. don't mind me. So, um... right around the corner come the weasels after they're trying to figure out where to go next, and and, and we found this out today too. That's a model as well. The car, that, that car for that specific shot. My gosh! They well, they build certain things just to get. The right shots, yeah. you know? Makes sense. It's I mean, a real car in the other shots, but for that particular one, it's, you know, this. So uh, they're like, uh, oh, no, Gingerbread Lane's that way. No, Gingerbread Lane's that way. Remember, he sticks out his thumb. Remember what Benny he says, did. if you need me, just stick out your thumb. Yep. And immediately, Benny comes calling. They didn't even intend to get... Benny. Benny, and he's just there. You know, did you call for cab or what? Haba, haba, allow me, mademoiselle. Cuts down, and more exposition in that tunnel. You know, right? More. more uh, so, by the way, there is a line earlier on where Eddie she mentions that uh, 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 she mentions Roger. Uh, she, she hit him on the head with a frying pan so he wouldn't get hurt, and he said. Eddie says something like he's more of a lover than a fighter or something like that. You better believe and it. And she's like, you better believe it. And I'm like, oh my gosh, did she just hint that Roger's good in bed? Of course, <laughs> you know. And then, He's really good at patty cake. Yeah, yeah. apparently. That just... makes him a good lover. He's good <laughs> and also, when I I forget, I can't just throw it away and say, oh, it's just exposition when they're in the vehicle, you know. Right. Because then she's trying to tell him more of the story now, saying, like, you know, he wanted to meet with me and give me his will, but when he handed it to me, the only thing he handed me was a blank piece of paper. Which yes. he says, oh, a and joker that, to the and end. And that is why. But we saw. From, but we know it's not. We know it's not really. Pocket. Yeah, we. But we know it's not really a blank piece of paper because we saw the words "last will and testament" on the thing. But that's that, that's the big. Thing and you, later you on. and some. I, I feel like it's split because I feel like some people could catch on at that point, and some people are still like, "Oh, maybe." Well, you know what I'm saying. Having seen the movie a number of times, I, I like that. That's that's a thing because I look at that and go. That could be seen as an incongruity, like the fact that she said, all I found was a blank piece of paper, but we see the last will and testament in his pocket in the picture. Mm -hmm. But then when we know what happens with the will later on, it's like, oh. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But at this point, we're not still, like, you could piece it together. You could. They've given us enough information, and you could, but I feel like, for me, a lot of the first times that I watched it, I didn't pick up on it. Yeah, me too. Here's another thing. It is, because it's noir, noir is, it has another, um genre it's also not mystery and with mystery those details are important yeah exactly and they still recognize that that this is still 
at, in one part of it, a mystery. Oh, no, we care about that. I and mean, we know that that attention to detail so is, is critical. The, yeah, jeez. So, so they, uh, they're, that, that all happens, and then... As, they, as they drive out of Toontown, Judge Jim is there and... <laughs> pushes a can of dip into the road. And uh, Benny, Benny they skids go, through. And they go flying. Benny hits a lamppost. Ouch. And uh, there is a... In the old scene, uh, we didn't get it in ours... Um, you can see Jessica Rabbit's bits. Supposedly. You know, they were talking about Supposedly. Flashing, the, uh, they were also talking about flashing bits because Betty Boop used to flash. Yeah. And they actually had to take out her flash in the, in the <laughs> bar, you know. They had done it. They said there were a lot more um, homages to the uh, original artists, but a lot of them were taken out just because of the overbearingness of uh, the parent company. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Disney. So, um... Tosses them in the vehicle, takes them to the uh, the plant, the, the, the Acme the Acme factory, the Acme right? factory. You know, we've tied up. Uh, uh, actually, no, we haven't tied anybody up yet. We just have uh, them being searched and uh, nice booby trap. You know, I'll handle this one. <laughs> you know, he actually the one of the weasels actually sticks his hand down her boobs, and there's actually a bear trap in such her. a good gag. Did you find the wheel? Nah, nothing but this stupid love letter. Welcome to the plant. Call, yeah, calling back to it, like, okay, love letter, just, okay, that's that's all we have, which Eddie takes back. Puts it in his pocket. Puts it back in his pocket, you know, and we're starting, we're not quite... Oh, by the way, Eddie had the letter on him, because at one point when Roger jumped into the back to get to Benny, it had popped out of his pocket and landed in, in front of Eddie, and Eddie stuffed it in his coat pocket, which exactly. is why he has it. So... Way to pay attention to your important items, movie. Good yeah. job. And the quick and before before we get the big speech from Judge Doom to reveal a lot of the mystery, we cut back to Roger in the remnants of the vehicle. Yeah, and it's amazing to see what he's done with it. That's uh, true. It's... Not good behind the wheel. And then uh, Benny hobbles his way into it. Uses his own headlights, by the way, <laughs> to drive. That's yeah. totally like that's a great man. cab driving a car, car driving car, car driving car, car driving car. And that's when we cut back to the Acme factory, and that's when we start to have all of those little bits and pieces finally come together. Basically, he's made a huge machine that carries like uh, gallons of dip. That he plans to destroy Toontown with. Why is he destroying Toontown? Because he wants to build a freeway. A freeway? What the hell's a freeway? And explains... I think this is supposed to be the 110. That he's yeah, basically, because it, it's going to run from here all the way to Pasadena. Yeah. Yes, and and the thing about it, too, as well, is is he... Uh, we also hear... it's almost it can, it can almost be lost, a throwaway line. He says, uh, what about... Uh, what do you have anything to do with Cloverleaf? He says, you're looking at the... Soul stockholder. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So you're, oh, no wonder. So you're the one who's... So so we get the establishment that Doom's been working on this for a while. Like, he, so, he bought Toontown, essentially bought his way into Toontown so he could be the judge, so he could manipulate now, things. Now, here's, here's the thing that Dave and I kind of picked up on. First off, we've already established Judge Doom is a toon. Why would he do this to Toontown? Why would he destroy his home? Here's another thing we've discovered. The tunes are not doing well. First of all, they are treated like second-class citizens. They are uh, not getting as much work anymore. All of the animation studios are going down. And I think he's thinking to himself, it's better to be on top and live as a human than it is to be a tune right now. 
Mm-hmm. Basically, yeah, the impression I got, and I was thinking it was like, this is the subtext, this is clearly theory, but maybe Doom was the kind of tune who's like, I can see which way the wind is blowing. Well, we also know, it's funny, because we, again, what have we established about tunes? They are just drawn however they're drawn. Who knows what he was originally exactly. drawn for, but we know it was made to be a very methodical, villainous, nefarious creature of mm. some sort. Not to mention a creature who can shapeshift yeah. a lot. Yeah, like, there is, we'll get into that later on, but basically, uh, uh, Oh, we know he could be an old Fleischer cartoon who's just really bitter. <laughs> and also, hat goes off to Christopher Lloyd because way to take a a uh, talk about a freeway and turn it into the most you know melodrama villainous you yes, know his Shakespearean soliloquy you know tire salons automobile dealerships and wonderful wonderful billboards reaching as far as the eye can see. Sylvester Court. Yeah. My God, it will be beautiful. <laughs> you know, and it, it's when you hear it talked about that way, you're like, "This is terrible. I don't want this." So does that mean that he ultimately won because the freeway's there now? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's ultimately. one of the. Wait a minute. And where is Toontown? That's, that's one of the horrifying at parts. Disneyland, is I guess, that. So. Basically, L.A. has just become mostly freeways, and, and there is no Toontown, so I was so like, oh, God, we Judge live in... Judge Doom got his way. <laughs> in this universe that we live in, Judge Doom got his way. And also, more weird plants, even this late in the movie, I can't believe they yep. did it so successfully. He's to, he tells Eddie, it's over, uh, Mr. Valiant, and then he walks away, slips on the eyeballs. Right, which had been disturbed earlier during another weasel kind of cackling session, right? Yes. Oh yeah, this is also the point Roger appears, but he gets hit in the head with a ton of bricks, and then it's like... Oh yeah, because uh, he, 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 he falls through a window while Benny's going to get the police. Falls into so a toilet. Falls into a toilet. Gets flushed down the toilet, and during a key moment, he pops out of the like a sewer grate, hits um, Greasy Weasel. Is it Greasy? Uh, who does get up there with a the knife? I, it, it, I, I, it's I think Weezy. it is. I think I is it Weezy? Weezy. Well, someone gets well, up on the thing, and then of course Roger's got the gun, and he's pointing it at everybody, and it he's is Greasy. Something yeah, about yeah, we're gonna hit you right. like a ton of bricks, and then immediately the thing falls on him, which is great. Because he greasy cuts it with the, his knife, his tooth. That's knife. right. He is the one with the knife because yeah. he cleans his teeth with the knife too. Yeah, you know. And then, <laughs> and then she said, and then they kind of. I wish you could all see, like, throughout this whole recording, Jesse has been doing some phenomenal pantomimes. <laughs> yeah. Wonderful. Just about cleaning the cleaning the knife. Jessica goes to him. Roger says something. Oh look, stars, ready right with you, Abo. <laughs> Tie the love boats together, and that's when they get tied together. Unuse the the unbreakable tune rope. Uh, 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 yeah. Oh, that's a good reference. To escapable, yeah, unescapable, inescapable tune, tune rope. You know. Hey, gotta because it's already been established earlier. Tunes can escape through almost anything with the unless they're tuned things. So just as as Doom thinks he's won, he's about to walk away. He slips on the eyeballs, falls, and the weasel stop laughing. And this is our third reminder. Uh, usually comedy comes in threes, but what's a, when it's a plot device, you know, a, a comedy plot device comes in threes too, though. Right? Yeah, 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 you know, and then he, but then he tells them, you know, but this is this is a second time, uh, or is it the third? Was is Eddie around? Eddie was around for all three times. Yeah, he was. and it sunk in. Comedy rule three just hit him, and he's like, oh, and you hear that little, at a point. Ding. You actually hear a the ding. chime, the chime, you know. Yeah, and so then you see Eddie's plan, his gears start turning, and then he hits that, you know. And when Judge leaves, then he hits uh, basically this sound machine that plays uh, "Merry Go Round" broke down. Now, 
here's another thing. So he's doing a uh, Eddie's doing a bunch of gags like Pratt falls and all that, and you're one. And I that's the great part is establishing the fact his dad was a clown. Yep. Once again, he can juggle. He can juggle. He can pogo. He can. He can do, do all the certain stats. Yeah, flips, you know, and yeah, yeah, and we're seeing like, oh wow, he's 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 connecting more with that part of himself than he has in forever. Mm-hmm. Right before we saw the judge leave, when he got up, he's holding, he's holding his eye. He's holding one eye. And we're, and we're thinking, why is he doing that? You know, and also it could be alluded to. They didn't give us a, a close-up shot that he picked up an eyeball. You know, yeah. But but he walks away, you know, with his other hand clenched pretty tightly as well. Mm-hmm. And so Eddie pretty single handedly gets rid of the weasels, doesn't he? Yeah, by just getting them all to start laughing. You know, and <laughs> the gags too. Seeing the ghosts leave, and one of them is trying to like, you know, pull it that back in. Awesome. You know, and then you get keep getting the 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 because of that you keep it kind of triggers the whole start stop aspect of the whole thing. Like because one of the because uh, Wheezy dies and falls out of the car, his foot goes off the brake, and so the the, the dip mobile starts moving toward. Roger and Jessica, and then like, and then you know the the fact that it's just more and more of that keeps happening. And then I like how they they manage to shut it off at one point, but then Psycho falls into the spinning thing, and his ghost comes up and turns it back on yeah. as he's flying. <laughs> 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 It's funny, like, even as he's, like, got the little harp, he's like, here's my last little, yeah. little click, you know. Yeah. Oh, it's so good. And then, so ju- Judge comes out of nowhere, you know. He, he like, ziplines down to Eddie. And this is the this is the whole battle to make sure the, the, the dip, the, the dip's cannon on the top of the thing doesn't hit, um, doesn't hit our, our two, uh, our two lovers. Mm-hmm. Our, our married, our married rabbits. And then we see Eddie using as many things in the factory as he can, you know, the magnet... The same you know, sword. Which I, yeah, well, and, uh, <laughs> Frank Sinatra's in the credits, you know. Yes, yeah. well, he has to be, you know, yeah. as, as himself, yeah. as he looked then, too, you know. Yeah. It's important to note. And, and, and again, it's a good, it's another fun domino effect of just, well, I'm going to use the magnet to try and get your sword, you know, but then it's going to backfire on me, and then I'm going to be caught on this, you know, canister, but then I'm going to use the the hole, the the portable hole to make a hole in it so I can escape out of it. Which we saw earlier. Yes. You know, so now I can get on top, you know, and I can kick you off of the steamroller that you were going to roll over me with. The fact that the judge wants to kill him in such an elaborately comical way is also a good hint. That, that also, so yeah, because he could have just stabbed him when he says, don't move, you know. He he's comes, got the cane sword. He's established he's got a, a cane sword, and yet he's just like, don't move. Leaves with a big, with a smile on his face and comes back with this the steamroller. Gonna like. run him, gonna run him over, but <clears throat> then uh, we see the glue earlier, but we never see it used. We just see yeah. it in the background, but now yeah. we actually see what that stuff looks like. It's gross. And and yeah, my hat goes off to the prop department because when you see him punch through it, you know, and try to get it, it doesn't come off easy. It's almost like rubbery. You know? Yeah, I it mean? is. It and, is, and it is very cartoon glue, but it looks so real. Um, and we finally get that. This tension is building up, building, 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 because that that dip is so close to them. Finally turns it off. They're okay. But then we see the steamroller going over him. Yeah, it's like, oh, man, we just watched a human being get crushed under a thing. But it's not a human. Eddie, look! And his ear points to it. Oh, that's a good bit. (laughs) His ear points to it. Just like his eyes. Everything about Roger is so animated. Holy smokes, he's a tune! Surprise! Which is also a really... It still disturbs me to see to this day. Yeah, uh, that was a scene I was scared of as a kid. I was like, oh... Well, here's the thing. 
Um, there's some scenes that, like, actually scared me and I had to close my eyes. This one I was like, oh, this is scary, but it didn't, it, it didn't, like, it wasn't enough to make me want to close my eyes as a kid, but I was like, oh, wow. By the way, Eddie Valiant's eyes, you could just see not just the terror, but just, like, the sadness. Like, this is the one moment where, like, he's showing a real emotion, just, like, fear, sadness, horror, like, like, being Absolute horror. 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 Yeah. Absolute horror. Bob Hoskin is able to show that perfect emotion of seeing the murderer of his brother. Yeah, and and it, and it, and it manifests in such a scary way because he goes to that air machine and it starts, you know, plugging Love himself so, back up. So he's been flattened and now he's a, like, pancake. By the way, that flattened uh, Judge Doom is somewhere in Robert Zemeckis' office. Mm-hmm. The stop motion puppet. Yeah. yeah. And then we see, when he starts blowing up like a cartoon wood, the hat flies off, you know, which kind of reveals the head. His normal eyes pop out, and it turns out he has cartoon eyes, these red burning cartoon eyes, and... And the the scary thing about it is we heard Eddie describe those eyes, you know? Yeah. And then what's when we hear, like, the the untainted voice, you know, when I killed your brother, and it gets so screechy, and he talks about the screechy voice, and and, like a good horror film... Where you don't actually see the villain because we're only seeing what he's a little bit underneath. Yeah, you know? we never fully see what he looks like. By the way, never know what his true form is, and that's best left to the imagination. Because he pulls like, off the hand, and then it turns into an anvil, and then and then a buzzsaw. Yeah, it turns around, and then zzz. again he has a shape shifting ability, which is again I, I I I the only cartoon logic I can think of for a character like that would be he's probably some old disgruntled Fleischer cartoon because remember they had even less rules for those characters and so it, that bus saw by the way too I mean and the, and the, and the, the eyes not only did they turn into daggers and was that scary and he's got springs on his feet and everything but I mean he, he can slice Eddie we've seen what, what it does you know when he slices it through some of the woods you know yeah and we see that hammer that hammer. Off in the corner, you want to the talk The one-lettered Malton hatter. Leonard Malton. And as much as it was used for a thing that like you were like, it almost makes you want to forget it, the fact that somebody was being mean with it earlier. Yeah. And he sees it, and you're like, oh, my God, oh, my God. And then he grabs it, you know, just enough to hit the dip, you know, machine, and it completely... What a great shot when it does that, like, camera zoom on on um, Doom freaking out. What? Right as the stream is about to hit him. <laughs> yeah, puts him in and... and I'm melting! Uh, I'm melting! Still terrifies me. Oh. To this day, you know, because you kind of see the, the, the paint melting away. and you're, uh, That's another clue, too, as to what he looks like underneath. Oh, no. The kind of the paint that's just escaping... <clears throat> you know, whatever it is. Yeah. You know, and then and then he saves, you know, saves Roger and Jessica, gets the, you know, remote control to move them out of the way. Um, uses the fire, uses the, the fire, the, this, this, uh, gag factory's fire system to, like, clear all the dip off the floor. Did you know that when that machine makes it through the brick wall, they had to reset every brick hand by hand? Really? Jeez. Uh, we heard. We found out they also did. a model. By yeah, the way. Also, I figured. Oh, but, of course. But still, the fact that they had to like the get I the think that makes it there. worse. That now you got to reset tiny bricks. I think, oh, they, yeah. I think they did that take ten times or something. And then they reset Jeez. those bricks every time. Every yeah. time. With that. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Oh, and by the way, I pointed this out uh, to David, and we had to like pause it each time when yeah. the train comes and hits it. 
each window shows a different murder. Yeah, which there's I people getting stabbed. Somebody's hanging there. It was. We were looking at that earlier today. It's so fast. Yeah. And yeah, thank God that they had the the you know system. You and know. then that's when the cops come in, and all the tunes are coming out, and it's like, oh my gosh, all these tunes are together. Like all of them. Like every single one. WB. Like this is astounding. Like. Warner Brothers cartoons and Disney cartoons are joining together and, and they're like, you being know, chill with each other. It's funny, they were saying something too about how there's a little bit of tune denial in there because they say, uh, who, I wonder who he really was, you know, and then yeah. Bud says, I'll tell you one thing, he wasn't no rabbit, mm-hmm. you know, and everyone just goes through this whole like, oh, he couldn't have been one of me. Yeah. Oh, he couldn't have been one of me. It could have been one of me, you know. They, and they show us, what was that, a rubber mask? Which, by the way, is terrifying to see. Because you see the paint yeah, leaking out of the eyes. It's so bad. Yeah. And by the way, it all wrapped up pretty nicely. By the way, here's the rope that, the cut rope that killed Marvin Acme. You'll find fingerprints on it or something. Oh, it's a perfect match to the paint because we see paint. yellow paint coming out. Yeah. Uh, so we know right. that part of him is yellow or something to that effect, you know? Yeah. And because I think his bus saw that we saw was a little more orange. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or maybe it could, I don't know. It's not a yellowish. A gold color. Yeah. Okay. yeah. Gold. So a golden bus saw. So, and, and, and just as we're like, oh, yay, everything's getting wrapped <laughs> he up. Killed, he killed R.K. Maroon, and he killed Marvin Acme, and he killed my brother. You know, it's what I call one seriously disturbed tune. Uh, then we're thinking, like, you know, hey, everything's great, but then Baby Herman says applesauce, you know, if everything's so great, you know, the why don't we have the will? And then it's like, where's, it's like, oh, you're sure, why do you have ink on it? It's disappearing, reappearing ink, and Oh, because he gives it the love letter. Uh-huh. Yeah. The and love then, letter and finally and comes out. Eddie, Eddie makes a connection. Yeah, Eddie, you see Eddie go, like, wait a second, disappearing, reappearing, and they said, that love letter you were talking Because the stain's back on his, his shirt. Yeah, why don't you read it to her now? I is it happening now that I'm assuming it has to do with like water? Because it's a it's tune timing. It's context sensitive. It's oh, sensitive sure. to context. Eh, why not? The light goes ding. <laughs> <laughs> Conqueror's getting a lot of playback in this episode. Yeah, this is the second, what, second, third time we've made a Conqueror reference? Because that's a game that operates entirely on cartoon logic. Yes, it does. Yeah. So we finally hear them read the will. We see it appear, which I guess the timing of it actually does work out because it'd be time from when he actually would have had the will written. Let's say if he did finish it up that evening and then also hit Eddie with the ink that evening. Yeah. It would have disappeared relatively that evening and it would have reappeared relatively. For all I know, Mar- for all we know, he hadn't written the will yet and he was going to, or he hadn't had the will written down yet, but instead he was testing the ink on Eddie to make sure it would work like that. Well, we knew it had to because it was the same night, because that's the night he took the pictures, and that's yeah. the night that it was in his pocket. Yeah. Yeah. He, he, it's already been tested. I think he did it beforehand. And... Okay, yeah. Oh, it's yeah, and he, know, he knows that product works. Yeah, no, 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 I know. It's just, just trying to think. Because he's probably also thinking, oh, it's going to be really funny when it appears later. Oh, he's going to be so mad. <laughs> you know? Uh, big crescendo says, hey, you know, is everything fine? There was going to be this kiss. We've we've had an almost kiss between Dolores and Eddie twice, and it always gets interrupted both times. And it, got you in, know? it gets interrupted here, too. We never actually see them kiss. No, we don't. No. But then, you know... Uh, but then we get a kiss between Roger and Eddie. Right, cause, and... and that's a save, because it's right after Put Her There, Pal, and Roger hits Eddie with the, with the buzzer, and then he looks super angry, and then he says, don't tell me you've lost your sense of humor already, and then he grabs him. Does this answer your question? And then he kisses them. You're like, oh, yeah. yeah. Like, you know. It's good. And smile, darn you, smile. What a fun way to end. And and going back to Michael Eisner, he was the one who said, are we ending this movie with Porky Pig? 
<laughs> How dare you? How dare you? And so they added. Is that in, why they put Tinkerbell in there? That's why they had Tink come in and hit some pixie dust on him. So that's why. <laughs> that's a nice little. But to me, that's a nice little compromise. Porky does the bulk of the ending, yeah, and Tink does her like boop curtain call. And that's how it ends. And we've been going for almost three hours. Wow, Whoa. that's longer than the film. Sorry, yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, but you know what? I, to say. I do have to say there is that. That just goes to say something about the film: the fact that you can take any little section of this and you can't just nutshell it. There's so many layers and I'm sure there's things that we didn't even talk about. It's in the there's, Yeah. Uh, there's so much you can talk about with this film. Um, by the way... Want, we just like to talk about it. Maybe we'll have mentioned some stuff you haven't noticed before. Maybe we have. Maybe you didn't listen to the whole thing. In which case, I don't know who I'm talking to at this point because if, if you did listen to the whole thing, hey, thank you. <laughs> so Viewers like you, I should thank say, you. I should say this shocks me, but Jeffrey Katzenberger argued that this hybrid of live-action animation would save Disney's animation department, he was right. Mm-hmm. This. Considering how... Yeah, we, yeah. What we've said before about Katzenberg, this I mean, This is surprising, like, but... Yeah. But the box to office... To be fair... You want to know the box office? Yep. Uh, $329 million. Actually, it's a... That's a... Last, last I checked, it was a little under $350 million worldwide. Wow. Uh, I think it, uh, that was like its original. I think it's accumulated since then, or yeah. I don't know. But Absolutely. Yeah, but yeah, it's quite... They made a lot. A lot like peop, Audiences love this. Like uh, uh, Roger Ebert was like, no, you guys got to see this. This is like amazing. The, it, people were astounded. This did legitimately save the animation department like for and Disney. At the, and at the time, it was the most expensive undertaking that anybody had ever yeah. done. Yeah, and it paid off. And then along Big with time. it, it won three, Aca- or won three Academy Awards. Um, let me get the correct... And while you're getting those up, the, a lot of the the production crew for the animators, the, those people went on to do a lot more animation in Hollywood, especially oh, yeah. for Disney. That's oh, yeah. The crew that was built for Roger Rabbit, you know, mm-hmm. ended up saving them a lot more. It was a superb animation film. It was a great detective noir film, and last but certainly not least, it was also uh, a great special effects film. Oh, I mean, yeah. just as far as action sequences and everything goes, you know? It's... Oh, the three, three in one. Yeah. You typically I, don't get that. Yeah. So, it <laughs> Te- technically, storyline-wise, just like, it's, 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 it's a soup. it's an absolutely beautiful film, and I love it. Um, uh, so, um, it won, uh, Academy Awards for Best Sound Effects Editing, Best Visual Effects, and Best Film Editing. Also, Richard Williams received a Special Achievement Academy Award for animation direction and creation of the cartoon characters. He deserves it. Absolutely. He deserves like, it. Like, this... Mm. Oh, yeah. Those are applauds. This rekindled the golden age of American animation. This went on <laughs> to create Toontown at Disneyland. Um, Like, this did help save Disney animation, like, without a doubt. I know a lot of people think, well, it's clearly Little Mermaid. Little Mermaid was the start of the... Well, that uh, was them being able to do something on their own without the help of, say, Amblin, or... Yeah, Amblin did help, I'm not gonna lie. Um, but, uh, um, but, yeah, this, this did help launch Disney into the Renaissance, so this is the, this is the stepping stone on which they will oh, continue to step absolutely. up from. Absolutely. Yeah. Whew. Well. Thank you guys so much for having yes. us on this. Thank you. Thank you for, for having, having us. us. 
Um, <laughs> I also, I'm uncanny. I'm not a, yeah. We do that a lot. I'm, I know. I'm not a pin collector at all by any means, but the only two pins I own are Roger Rabbit pins. There you go. All right. Time to plug yourselves, guys. Excuse um, me? I'm <laughs> Okay. I know, I Sorry. know, I know jujitsu. <laughs> uh, where can we find you? Is the question on on your or what would you like people to know? Um, so I, I work with my brother a lot. Um, not because it's a thing we grew up doing. It's actually because we didn't get to work with each other. So, um, so if, playing catch up, kind of. Yeah, it happened in college. We you know we did a play, and then we decided we wanted to work more together. And plus, my brother has all the good ideas. I just. <laughs> Pick it back off of him. Yeah. Um, so if uh, if you guys are uh, familiar with Dr. Hack and Igor, um, you can find them at Dr. Hack and Igor on Instagram or Dr. Hack and Igor on Facebook. Um, the reason we don't have a YouTube for it is because our live shows, we don't want to record because otherwise you mm. won't come and see them live. Also, YouTube is terrible. Well, well, well that's a whole other episode, right? <laughs> yeah. So, um, and... Uh, if you also like uh, Ornellis Dynasty Productions, that's also us. Yes. So um, the, the Facebook for that is Ornellis Dynasty. There will eventually be a website that has us all under there. Otherwise, uh, I'm Thrash618 on most of your Twitter, Instagrams, Nintendo Network, <laughs> Xbox Live, you know. Uh, and Jesse is Jess Meister? Um, sure. Well, no, what's no, your just, Instagram yeah, yeah. If, is... If you're looking for Twitter and Instagram, it's at uh, jesse underscore ornelas, O-R-N-E-L-A-S. And that's where you can find me, although I don't post too much stuff. But uh, if you're looking for me, that's where I am. See, you're cool. You actually have to use your, your name. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I will say, if you want to hear uh, an example of the work they've done on podcasts we've done, uh, these two did a phenomenal job in one of our two-parters from the Midnight Marinara, last Midnight Marinara season, when we did Shadow of Crimes Act 1 and 2. Not only did they uh, reprise, I guess reprise technically, their roles of Dr. Hack and Igor in a little bit of an improv section at the beginning, and at the bookends of each of those episodes, but um, they also played characters throughout those two episodes, and that was a lot of fun to do. And uh, um, if you know, if all goes well, there will be more of those adventures. At least, specifically the the Doctor Holiday one. I sincerely hope that we. <laughs> <laughs> you know, what's nice about your productions is now we're sort of losing track of all the voices we've done for you. Oh, yeah. good. Because <laughs> you know, we all we uh, there was the one that you did with Mr. Stoltz and uh, and Rachel. Yeah, that's and, right. And I forgot. I'm like, oh, I was a voice on the street. You know, yeah, you were so, a man on the street in that one. Yeah. And then, of course, like Jesse was was the main the the main protagonist in um, the Seer of Possibilities. Yeah, that's see, right. so mm-hmm. there's all sorts of things, and so thank you, thank you for lending your minds and brilliance to, because I know that if I ever have holes in what I'm thinking of, I know that you two are always going to be there with all the right information. Well, we try. Thank, I, thank you. you for, for bringing your, your energy and your, your personality and your just superb ideas to the shows that we do, including this one. This has been a lot of fun. Even if it has been a bit of a marathon. And, yeah. and most importantly, thank you to uh, Bob Zemeckis for directing such a wonderful little piece. You thank know, you, Bobby. <laughs> all the crew, all the actors. Can I make sure we call you Bobby? Bob, <laughs> Charles Fleischer. Um, uh, yeah, also, even Bob Gale, who was brought in to do a little bit of help with editing. Kebabs. 
telling him, like, yes. you know, yes, uh, everybody in crew, all the prop masters, all the costumers, all the animators, everybody who was a part of this production. We owe all of you for shaping our childhood. Exactly, oh, <laughs> giving us a, a, a superb film to be like a benchmark for like what what a quality film should look like. In fact, go home, put in your DVD, and just watch the credits. Yeah. <laughs> and just say you're not worthy. Uh, We're not worthy. Uh, join us next time for our Animusings episode of... Uh, we're going to review Oliver and Company. Yeah. It's coming up a little later this month. I see the applause. Should I worry? <laughs> no, you, but you should care. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I may not have a dime, but I got Street Sabbath. Okay, okay, I'm sure you do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I The only way to end this is... Uh, that's all, folks. this midnight? Seat your appetite for terror and reserve your ears for a feast of the sound. The Midnight Marinara Podcast is here for you, intrepid listener. We sample only the finest and sinister stories and, coating them with our own unique spooky sauce, present them to you as eerie audio dramas. Tune in as Midnight Marinara sends shivers of fear and spasms of laughter through you. Bon appetit. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> This podcast is a part of the Benview Network. You can find this and other podcasts like it at BenviewNetwork.com.